Okay, good evening and welcome to the July 12th, 2023 meeting of the San Francisco Board of Appeals. President Rick Swig will be the presiding officer tonight and he is joined by Commissioner Alex Lumber, Commissioner John Trisvina, and Commissioner J.R. Epler. Vice President Jose Lopez is absent this evening. Also present is Deputy City Attorney Jen Huber, who will provide the board with any needed legal advice. At the controls is the board's legal assistant, Alec Longway, and I'm Julie Rosenberg, the board's executive director. We will also be joined by representatives from the city departments that will be presenting before the board this evening. Tina Tam, the deputy zoning administrator representing the planning department, Rebecca Salgado, preservation planner with the planning department, and Matthew Green, chief building inspector with DBI. Now the board requests that you turn off or silence all phones and other electronic devices so that they will not disturb the proceedings. No eating or drinking in the hearing room. The rules of presentation are as follows. Appellants, permit holders, and department respondents each are given seven minutes to present their case and three minutes for rebuttal, and this is for each appeal. People affiliated with these parties must include their comments within these seven or three minute periods. Members of the public who are not affiliated with the parties have up to three minutes each to address the board and no rebuttal. Mr. Longway, our legal assistant, will give you a verbal warning 30 seconds before your time is up. Four votes are required to grant an appeal or to modify a permit or determination. If you have questions about requesting a rehearing, the board rules or hearing schedules, please email board staff at boardofappeals at sfgov.org. Now, public access and participation are of paramount importance to the board. SFGov TV is broadcasting and streaming this hearing live, and we will have the ability to receive public comment for each item on today's agenda. SFGov TV is also providing closed captioning for this meeting. To watch the hearing on TV, go to SFGov TV cable channel 78. Please note that it will be rebroadcast on Fridays at 4 p.m. on channel 26. A link to the live stream is found on the homepage of our website at sfgov.org forward slash BOA. Now public comment can be provided in three ways. One, in person. Two, via Zoom. Go to our website and click on the hearing Zoom link. Or three, by telephone. Call 1-669-900-6833 and enter webinar ID 849-4569-5309. And again, SFGov TV is broadcasting and streaming the phone number and access instructions across the bottom of the screen if you're watching the live stream or broadcast. To block your phone number when calling in, first dial star 67, then the phone number. Listen for the public comment portion for your item to be called and dial star nine, which is the equivalent of raising your hand so that we know you want to speak. You will be brought into the hearing when it is your turn. You may have to dial star six to unmute yourself. You will have three minutes and our legal assistant will provide you with a verbal warning 30 seconds before your time is up. Please note that there is a delay between the live proceedings and what is broadcast and live streamed on TV and the internet. Therefore, it's very important that people calling in reduce or turn off the volume on their TVs or computers. Otherwise, there is interference with the meeting. If any of the participants or attendees on Zoom need a disability accommodation or technical assistance, you can make a request in the chat function to Alec Longway, the board's legal assistant, or send an email to boardofappeals.sfgov.org. Now, the chat function cannot be used to provide public comment or opinions. Please note that we will take public comment first from those members of the public who are physically present in the hearing room. Now, we will swear in or affirm all those who intend to testify. Please note that any member of the public may speak without taking an oath pursuant to their rights under the Sunshine Ordinance. If you intend to testify at any of tonight's proceedings and wish to have the board give your testimony evidentiary weight, raise your right hand and say, I do, after being sworn in or affirmed. Do you swear or affirm that the testimony you're about to give will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Okay, thank you. If you are a participant and you're not speaking, please put your Zoom speaker on mute. 
So commissioners, we do have one housekeeping item. Uh, the parties for items 5A through 5B at 1863 Pine Street have come to an agreement and they would like to the board to adopt the revised plans dated uh, July 12th, provided that those plans are revised to incorporate the two revisions submitted by the appellant. And those revisions are, let me read them for the record. One, the party wall needs to be shown straddling the property line. And two, sheets A111 and A112 need to be included as part of the revised plans. And the departments have agreed to this, uh, to their agreement. So everyone is in support of this. So we would need a motion. And then yes, I will ask for public comment. Anybody wanna make a motion or have any questions on this? Julie, I think Matt wants to speak. Okay, we'll, we'll hear from DBI. Uh, good evening, President Swig, Commissioners, Matthew Green, representing the Department of Building Inspection. Um, I'd just like to remind you that there's uh, four appeals here. There's a plumbing permit, mechanical permit, electrical permit, and all the parties have agreed that we can reinstate those permits under the condition that work won't commence until the um, suspended permit going under uh, planning review is reinstated. So that would take care of all okay. four appeals. Okay, so you want us to adopt the plans with um, the appellant's revisions and with a, a prov proviso that uh, these permits will not be effective until the related revision. Well, well, there, well there, there's four separate appeals here, right? There's one for the building permit, right. one for the mechanical permit, one for the plumbing, one for the electrical. Uh, the plans that are submitted special condition permit will take care of the building permit appeal. There's all the, the three other uh, the, all the parties are agreed if we, we can reinstate those permits with the understanding that won't, work won't commence until the main building permit 2021-0208-4273 is reinstated by the planning department. That's going under a separate, that was suspended by the planning department and there's a separate um, planning enforcement case going forward. Okay, and that's, which, that's not part of the permit isn't under, it hasn't been appealed, right? No, the, the permit that, is, that was appealed is a revision to that main permit. Okay. But this is a long, this is a very drawn out saga. So uh, you want us to add <laughs> that work won't commence until which permit is reinstated? Uh, uh, building permit 2021-0208-4273. 4273 is reinstated. By the planning department. Well, the DBI would be reinstating Well, it. that's correct, but at planning department's request. Okay. Okay. Would, would you like to read the, the motion, which hasn't been made yet, uh, but which I anticipate will be made by somebody, so that person knows how to state their motion, please? Okay, so thank you. Thank you. Um, the motion, the proposed motion is to grant the appeal an issue grant the appeals and issue the permits on the condition that they be revised to require the adoption of the revised plans dated July 12, 2023, provided they incorporate the two revisions submitted by the appellant, which I previously read, uh, and with the proviso that the work won't commence until building permit number 2021-0208, 4273 is reinstated. And then the, the basis would likely be that this is, um, the parties agree to this and the departments agree 
based on the agreement of the, the parties in the department. Okay. Um, does I have one question, and but uh, uh, Commissioner Trezvina has his light on, so unless he wants to make the motion, he might have a question. I have a question as well. I'll, I'll defer to your question, okay. President Swig. I have a question. Uh, go, no, go ahead. Mine's going to be simple for Mr. Green, so Mr. Green can make his way up to the podium, please. Yes, mi mi Mr. Green is key for me as well. Um, the last time we had this before us, we, just, we said that we would continue this matter to July 12th to give the parties more time to confer and to allow the permit holder time to submit revised plans which address the concerns of the appellants and the departments. Uh, we haven't seen anything, but, um, but I want to make sure that uh, it'll, it'll assuage my concerns that we are not being asked to approve something that we haven't seen uh, if, I, if Mr. Green can tell us, one, that the department approves it, and second, the department has seen everything that is set to be approved. Uh, yes, we have. We, I met with the appellant, um, th sorry, the council, both sides counseled yesterday. We went over these plans. So, yes, we were happy with them. Great. Thank you. So I've been waiting to ask this question since February uh, when this first came up and haven't had the chance because we never had a chance to hear it. But I, need, I would like to ask the question not in the spirit of uh, this particular case, but this is an oddball and I would think the commissioners would, and myself would be educated uh, with the answer to this question. Uh, in my years as sitting on this commission, uh, I, I have not had the opportunity to hear a case where a wall is shared by two owners. Because um, I guess that doesn't happen anymore, right? Uh, Correct. Yes. Um, so what are the special... This is an odd one where a, the, a, a, literal, a literal building wall is shared by two building owners. You have to say that that's unusual. It, it is very unusual. Yeah. And um, So are there any special terms and conditions in the planning code that have been cited um, that provide special rules or, uh, or conditions when this situation uh, is in is in place. Obviously, it's never going to happen again. But when you come across this, is there something? Uh, uh, do you wing it, or is there something in the planning code that says when there's a wall that's shared by by two building owners separately? Well, I won't comment on the planning code, but the building code does address the party walls. Okay, building code. All right, so the, par the party walls, uh, the fire rating will be maintained between the two separations. Okay. Uh, just as an aside, we did try to uh, do a survey of all the party wall buildings in the city. In the early 2000s, um, it was very difficult. Um, this this address did not come on that list, so it it, it was. Um, these buildings do exist. They can't. They won't be built today, but um, they do exist because at the time, you know, save save, uh, save expense and lumber. They use share foundations and common walls. But it was it was an it's an unusual situation. And and there are. So it is noted in, in the building, uh, the, the the building rules, and so when stuff like this happens, uh, you all know how to deal with it specifically. In written form. When it happens, we do have to do a little more uh, uh, permit research or um, building, 
building code research because it's not an everyday event, but it is, there are um, uh, references to the building code that have to deal with party walls. Okay, thank you very much. And now would somebody like to make a motion? Uh, I'd like to move to grant the appeals uh, pursuant to all the conditions Ms. Rosenberg said. Okay. I'd need to check to see if there's any public comment for this item. If, okay. if you're here to provide public comment, please raise your hand. One moment. I need to get my Zoom screen up. Okay. I don't see any public comment. So on the motion by Commissioner Lemberg, Commissioner Trezvina? Aye. Commissioner Epler? Aye. President Swig? Aye. So that motion carries four to zero. And uh, we have a, a, a certain waiting period before the written decision is issued. But I will reach out to Ms. Guerra and discuss uh, the process for submitting the revised plans for a special conditions permit. Okay? So thank you. So that concludes that item. We are now moving on to item number one, which is general public comment. This is an opportunity for anyone who would like to speak on a matter within the board's jurisdiction, but that is not on tonight's calendar. Is there any member of the public who wishes to speak on an item that is not on tonight's agenda? Okay. Hello. Uh, hi. So I'm one of the parties in the case that you just heard, but I'm not commenting necessarily on the specifics of that more on the general situation that we found ourselves in and the process by which we ended up here at a resolution. It struck me when we were here the last time, five weeks ago or so, that you were talking about how you were hoping to give more time for the neighborly process to work itself out rather than you guys have to make a ruling. And that landed with me and stuck with me in part because I don't think that's representative of the average person's experience out in the world trying to do with things. We're not here and didn't reach a conclusion as a result of neighborly goodness finding its way forward. I would say the system repeatedly failed us as regular people who found ourselves notified of construction after construction had began, found asbestos dust coming in the vents uh, in our little girl's bedroom right near their faces, found ourselves uh, sort of under assault in our own home and looking for someone to help us. And the city, kind of in a number of different areas, basically refused, and it is on the back of spending our kids' college savings to hire expensive consultants of one kind or another that we eventually figured out, or they figured out, how to move the wheels of government to help us, to protect us from something. Um, and that's a solution that's not available to the average resident of San Francisco. This is a tens of thousands of dollars process to get this far, to, you, to use you guys as a cudgel to force someone to deal with us. Um, it's, not, it's not neighborly goodwill. Hi, honey. <laughs> It's not, uh, it's not neighborly goodwill, and it's, it's not uh, cooler heads prevailing or anything like that. It is, it is raw money and knowledge of how you know, the arcane workings of the government work, and we are lucky that we can afford to do that even if it comes at you know, some, some meaningful cost, but most people in San Francisco can't, and by you know, the number of people who probably need to be here in front of you and have no idea how to do that, um, is great out there. And the number of people who need help from, you know, the DBI and planning department being more proactive, I think is, is great out there. When we filed an initial complaint when things started going wrong or reached out to planning department, you have to know what you're complaining about to have them address a complaint. That's not a burden that can reasonably be put on an average 
person in the city. They don't, I don't know anything about this stuff, you know? Um, and I've learned a lot about it in a year, but we've learned it the hard way, right? Um, in many ways. And so uh, I'm happy to be at a resolution and no offense to any of you to never hopefully come back here again. But I also recognize that like, Getting here was not like a reasonable process. And seconds. getting a resolution was not a reasonable process built on neighborly goodwill. I hope that our case is a precedent in a number of different ways that are useful for anyone who finds ourselves in this situation in the first place. But I also want you guys to hear from a relatively regular citizen of San Francisco how hard it was to get here, to know to get here, and to know, uh, to know how to, to have you guys help us because um, I think it, it's not a situation where people are actively looking to help you when this happens. That's all. Thank you. Okay. Did you fill out one Thank of the speaker you. cards for me? Sorry, Ms. Rosenberg, can, can I, I, we don't normally respond on public comment, but this gives us, an, uh, gives me an opportunity to do a public service announcement. Uh, okay. Which, which would be very helpful. Um, I appreciate your and I have to say something to you, and you can't give me feedback. That's just the rules. Uh, sorry about that. That's okay. Uh, but I think you'll like the answer. So uh, twice, I think, in the last two months, uh, we have had situations where, and by the way, uh, your experience is every week. We have people who, citizens who come in front of us every week, first time. They didn't know that when they bought that house, this is what was going to happen to them. They don't know uh, 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 what is a permit, what's not a permit. They don't know anything. And you know what? If I hadn't served, put, done public service for most of the last 20 years, I wouldn't either, right? It's really, and it's really scary. Um, and, um, but what, and the public service announcement is this. Um, you have an elected official that's in your district. Uh, that's your supervisor. And, and this goes out to everybody who is li listening here and for the public record. Uh, your supervisor is your, your fail-safe point. If you're not getting what you need and you're a voter or not, but you're a res resident in San Francisco, calling your uh, supervisor, uh, supervisor representative uh, and talking to their staff um, should provide you with answers to your questions, especially when you are not being served um, according to your view or can't find service according to your view with whatever you're achieving. So uh, I'm sorry that you experienced that. You're not, it's not unusual. It is a blind alley for everybody, unfortunately, unless you're experienced. And, um, <coughs> but that's the, that's the way around it or way to address it. Call your local supervisor. They should have staff to assist you. Thank you for your comments, very helpful. Okay, thank you. Uh, I do see another hand raised. Mr. Osgood, are you here to provide general public comment on this item? Or uh, Yes, if you don't mind. Um, and not to talk about your case, which is coming up, just Yeah, to... I understand that. Um, but in the same vein, um, you know, I have to say that as an average Joe, <clears throat> being sort of put up against uh, one of the best attorneys in San Francisco, when, uh, you know, I'm just here to um, protest a local neighborhood issue. I mean, that's quite a um, daunting task. Also, the cost, you know, is definitely a factor. 
Now, we didn't hire an attorney, but, you know, people certainly advised that. And yeah, with... I mean, I feel like this is touching on your case. Yes. So I don't think we can allow this type of public comment. Maybe after your case is resolved, you can come back and address the board with your concerns about the process. Well, I'd, I'd like to address Mr. Um, Swig's comment about contacting your supervisors. Okay. Um, you know, easier said than done. If you happen to support a candidate for office who doesn't win, you may very well be blackballed by your supervisor. Frankly, my supervisor is completely unresponsive. And where do you go? The neighboring supervisor doesn't want to hear from you. So that's, you know, it's a problem with um, district elections, I understand. But, you know, anything you folks can do to kind of make this easier for the average person um, would be appreciated. Thank you. Okay. okay, thank you. Is there any further general public comment? I don't see any, so we're going to move on to item number two. Commissioner um, Ms. Rosenberg, what are we doing about Mr. Clips' uh, general public comment, which we received by mail? Oh, yes. We did receive a letter from Mr. Clip. He, he expressed some concerns about uh, prior cases heard by the board, and you did ask me to remind you about it. So you. you, I understand. Uh, I'm sorry that Mr. Clip is not here to represent himself, but uh, commissioners, you all received a, a letter from Mr. Clip uh, that addressed um, some concerns, um, uh, much like our, I'm using the most recent example of 23rd Avenue, uh, where we asked uh, DBI to do something, they didn't do it. Um, it was part of, we didn't ask them, we put it in the, the findings and the motion. Um, much like uh, 23rd Avenue, I use that as an example because it's the most recent, not because it was the worst or the best. Uh, and the, the, we had a motion on an action on Market Street. We requested an action by DPW. DPW, uh, according to Mr. Clip, has not followed up on our uh, results of our motion. Right, and I don't think we should have a substantive discussion right I, now about no, I'm, that. I'm just trying to frame the, mm -hmm. the, the letter. Okay. I'm not, I'm not discussing. I'm just because there's nobody testifying. Um, and the letter's been submitted. But um, uh, I, I, after reading the letter, and I'd like to have some dialogue on this in, res in response to the letter, uh, it seems that DPW did not respond to a, uh, something that was in a motion and approved by this board, and I would like uh, to have Ms. Rosenberg uh, contact DPW and indicate that we have received this letter and suggest that we have some commentary back from them to written response their, mm -hmm. their day. Okay, no problem. Is that does that work for everybody on this panel? The, the, for, for those who aren't watching, who are just listening, there's some nods going. <laughs> okay, I see uh, Commissioner Lemberg. I, I'm, I'm totally fine with President Swig's idea. I just wanted to add, you know, I, uh, having read this letter, I would support us, uh, this body, doing whatever we can, especially as the Bureau of Urban Forestry does not, is not here every meeting, uh, like planning and DBI tend to be. Um, so... If we can ask uh, Mr. Buck or, or NBuff or DPW as a whole 
uh, to come to a, a future meeting and agendize it to, uh, I don't know, have a conversation about what the contents of this. I would certainly support that as well, but I don't know what's in our ability, uh, what, we could what do we're that, actually able to do. Maybe we should get the letter first, see what they say, and then make a decision at that point. Oh, or? That, that makes sense. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, because we're, I, I just almost crossed the line as far as uh, too much dialogue, as Ms. Rosenberg pointed out. No, uh, right. Commissioner Epler. <laughs> Uh, um, since we're writing a letter, you know, it occurred to me in reading this letter that there's a new uh, tool in the um, getting DPW to, to comply with, uh, you know, other city processes, and that's the DBI commission, or excuse me, not DBI, I'm sorry, the Department of Public Works, the Public Works Commission. Um, it would be nice to make sure that that letter is also forwarded to the members of that commission so that they can understand as well. Good idea. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Trevino. Uh, thank, thank you, President Swig. I, I, I agree with your approach on this, and I'm perhaps this might be better for the Commissioner Comments and Questions part, but I, I did want to express that if we're having difficulties seeing our actions fulfilled, then imagine the public. And it gets back to the, the, the discussion of the first. The, the, the first party who came before us tonight. Uh, fortunately, we were graced by the president of the Board of Supervisors who is here and active and listening and, and, and helpful and responsive. So I would hope that collectively we're able to help the, 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 the city bureaucracy move forward. And I would ask uh, um, President Swig whether we have in the past, since the, since the matters in, in the public comment predated at least my service and perhaps, perhaps others, uh, whether we have, as part of our motions, asked for a report back from the relevant departments as to the implementation or the status six months later as, as, as a routine matter. If that's something that we could do, then I think that might help uh, move this discussion along. But I realize we can't take any action on this matter at the moment. I would just want to know from you, from your experience, whether that might be a helpful way of helping the public. Um, as uh, Commissioner Lemberg uh, suggested uh, or simulated the idea of let's pass, make sure that DPW has received the letter, uh, see if they would like to come and address this board at the time that we um, agendize that, I that item for this board, then it will become a more full discussion at which point just maybe some of your questions might be answered and that accountability that I, I'm uh, conjecturing that you are looking for might be addressed. Okay, thank you. So that was kind of a mix of commissioner comments and questions and public comment. Are there any further commissioner comments and questions? Or any more questions? comments and questions? Okay, then we can move on to the heart okay, of the matter. Okay, I just need to check, is there any public comment on uh, this item? Commissioner comments, no? Okay, we're gonna move on to item number three. This is the adoption of the minutes. Commissioners before you for discussion possible adoption of the minutes of the June 21st, 2023 meeting. Commissioners, uh, comments, questions, or a motion, please. I move adoption of the minutes. Okay, is there any public comment on the motion to adopt the minutes? Please raise your hand. I don't see any, so on that motion, Commissioner Lemberg? Aye. Commissioner Epler? Aye. President Swig? Aye. That motion carries four to zero and the minutes are adopted. 
So we are now moving on to items 4A, B, C, and D. These are appeal numbers 23-020, 23-021, 23-022, and 23-023 at 101 Spear Street. Uh, David Osgood versus the Department of Building Inspection, Planning Department approval, appealing for sign permits and the first one 23-020 appealing the issuance on may 11th 2023 to hudson rincon center llc of an alteration permit sign c install two illuminated double phase projecting blade signs for quote tenant xyz rincon center it's permit number 2021-0525-1018 the second appeal 23-021, appealing the issuance on May 11th, 2023, to Hudson Rincon Center of an alteration permit, sign D, install one non-illuminated single-face canopy sign for, quote, tenant XYZ. It's permit number 2021-0525-1021. The third permit is an alteration permit to, ele to erect an electric single-faced wall sign, Rincon, four total. And the fourth permit is to erect a non-electric single wall face sign permit, Rincon Center, which says Rincon Center. So Mr. Osgood, uh, you will go first. And since there are four appeals, you have 28 minutes to address the board. Welcome. Thank you. <clears throat> I've set my timer for 27 minutes, so I won't take them all. Um, I am David Osgood, the appellant. I've lived at Rincon Center for 30 years, almost half my life. Um, by the way, would you please let me know if you have trouble hearing me? Feel free to interrupt if that's the case. And thanks to staff for helping in the preparation of all this. Um, I see one familiar face. I, I understand many of you are attorneys. I hope you agree that uh, the city should not be giving special streamline treatment uh, to businesses that are struggling simply because they are managed poorly. I hope you also agree this is more than just a legal matter. We believe it's our understanding that you are not just acting as judges interpreting code. Our understanding is that your de novo capacity means you are pretty much starting the planning process anew. We hope you will not just uh, wear your legal hats, but also your planning hats, and also perhaps the hats of negotiators. There's also another hat on your hat rack, I think, the political hat. Everybody knows, just like in Trump world, there's a lot that's unspoken at City Hall, and while everybody agrees that processes um, should be streamlined, and I think there's pressure on people throughout City Hall to come to the aid of businesses and so forth, nobody, no officials at the state or local level have ever said that the city should lower its standards. In other words, if something is not necessary, then by all means eliminate it. But let's not make San Francisco a worse place in the process. <clears throat> um, I trust you've read our brief and some of the 18 letters and emails supporting our appeals. 
The respondents have no letters supporting them. Support for our appeals came from every corner of San Francisco, from Petrero to the Richmond uh, to Telegraph Hill. And there was even one from a resident of France and people from the East Bay. Organizations supporting our appeals include San Francisco Heritage, the Coalition for San Francisco Neighborhoods, and the uh, Living New Deal project based at uh, Cal Berkeley all sub submitted letters. I just want to read a sentence or two from each one. San Francisco Heritage wrote, and this is important because if this comes down to a matter of expert opinions, um, if you remember the old Levi's ads, uh, I think our experts can beat up their experts, so to speak. Um, such as San Francisco Heritage wrote, the proposed alterations comprising multiple sets of signs on the streamlined modern, I think it's pronounced, exterior of the building do not adequately consider the historic character of the structure. And that, that will we'll go to what the code says. Uh, they also wrote that we believe the proposed signage is incongruous with the original architectural style of Rincon Center, the style from um, 1940. Uh, there were several architects wrote in. One said the city government has a duty to protect historic structures such as the Rincon Annex that are part of the city's cultural heritage, particularly buildings and artworks created under the New Deal, which were meant for all the people of San Francisco. I'm sorry, that was from the uh, uh, executive director of the Living New Deal project at uh, Berkeley. And then one architect wrote in, please do not allow the disfigurement of this, this, this San Francisco treasure that helps design the uh, cultural heritage of our great city. Uh, commissioners, we used many adjectives at the beginning of our brief describing the proposed signs. We were not name calling. They are all accurate. Ask me about any of them, I'll give you details. The proposed signs are excessive, unnecessary, oversized, inconsistent. They're different on all three sides of the building that uh, we're appealing, and they are ineffective. The clash, oh, uh, could you bring up um, uh, graphic number nine, please? Thank you. Um, the clash with the original architect's signage, and graphic 10, please, uh, signage on black marble and the dolphin designs uh, that surround the building. You see the quality of the um, 
owner sign on the right and the original architects. These would be right next to each other. There's no comparison. Um, we can go back to um, graphic nine, please. In our brief, we said that there would be six large signs fronting Mission Street if you deny these appeals. That was incorrect, and I apologize for that. There would actually be eight large signs face, facing Mission Street on this building, including the original architect's two beautiful signs in uh, the black marble. Where else do you see eight signs like this on the front of a single building, especially one that's a landmark and primarily office-oriented now? You don't see signs in this number, in these numbers on the comparable former Federal Reserve building on Sacramento Street. You can go through uh, photos 11 through 13, please. You don't see them on the three Mint buildings. You don't e even see them on the landmarked warehouse buildings around the ballpark, warehouses. You don't see this many signs on new buildings. We mentioned this in our brief, and council could have provided um, comparable examples of buildings plastered in science like the ones they are proposing. Apparently they were unable to do so. I don't see any around. Please accept no excuses as city officials attempt to explain their erratically inconsistent approaches to similar buildings. You may be aware that the planning department has already allowed two huge 25-foot um, blade signs to be installed on this building. Uh, that's graphic 14. You can leave it there for a second. Thank you. It's 25 feet high. And, and these are permanent. You know, there's no getting rid of them. Those are, there's, they're nothing less than planning, planning atrocities and planning should explain here today how that happened. Just explain these two signs. There's one on the other side. Um, please go to graphic uh, 10. As you can see in uh, exhibit three, 10 I believe is an email from planning department. Uh, they, they pledged that there would be no more blade signs on this building. Let's see, oh, it's number 15, sorry about that. I don't know if you can read it, but um, you know, it says very clearly there would not be any more blade signs. And here they are, they've permitted two more, two that we are appealing are blade signs. So something is very, very wrong, and it really needs to be fixed. As I said, look at any other building around and you won't see one with this amount of signage, especially on a historic building. 
I was told by a city official that the owners wished to replace those two 25-foot blade signs. Planners told them replacement would be fine, but asked them to reduce their size. The owners refused. But this does, however, indicate that planners have discretion to use good judgment and not just follow inadequate bureaucratic code. Therefore, you do too, we believe. Um, graphic nine, please. The owners have made no case that they have a need for these signs. We won't have any historic buildings left preserved if they are allowed to be disfigured during every time there's an economic downturn. I met with the management team a year or two ago. We had a cordial meeting and I asked them why they want these signs. They couldn't answer that. They didn't know. I asked them who they are targeting with the signs. Tourists, residents, office workers. They didn't know. They just want signs, signs, signs. Since, <clears throat> since they appear to be converting the food court to offices, you may want to ask them what passerby they expect to see a sign come in and buy something from an office tenant like Twilo, Google, or Salesforce. Obviously, offices get minimal foot traffic, nothing like a food court or post office, and don't require the same amount of directional signage. The building has a lot of signs now, and they need less, not more. The original architect, Mr. Underwood, it was his opinion 40, in around 1940 that a busy post office only needed two signs. And now the planning department has uh, permitted eight just on the Mission Street frontage. The word Rincon would appear eight times. That overkill is not necessary. Um, graphic 16, please. The uh, building was designed by uh, Gilbert Stanley Underwood, a renowned architect working for the Roosevelt administration who also designed numerous grand railroad stations, post offices, and national park lodges all across the country. He also uh, designed the Iwani Hotel. He designed the State Department building in Washington. The annex was redeveloped in the 1980s. Um, you can, you can flip between graphics one and two. It was redeveloped in the 80s into the multiple use Rincon Center and the historic building's lobby and exterior were to be preserved. I give the redevelopment, former redevelopment agency, a lot of credit for doing a very good job there. 
As part of that, a carefully crafted sign plan was implemented in the 80s that contributed to the many successful businesses at the center for 30 years. These signs still exist. More are not needed. The LA-based corporate owners appear to be converting the food court to offices. This requires fewer signs, not more. The building permits were issued behind closed doors and over the counter. I guess that's what's called streamlining. There was no neighborhood notice, hearing, or opportunity for comment. A building like this needs regulation. The LA-based owners recently painted over their Richard Haas murals from 1989. Uh, picture 17, please. They have had plans to turn the historic lobby into a cocktail lounge. There's their rendering of it. Uh, the planning department is wildly inconsistent. The comparable former, former Federal Reserve building, also downtown, has no such signs. Uh, graphic 12, please. Will it and other, others get, get them next? Why does this building have no signs and Rincon Annex is, is getting eight just on the front? and others on the sides. By the way, we do not call the building historic simply because it is 83 years old. The WPA murals in the lobby were con considered uh, controversial by some. Uh, pictures two and seven, please. And congressional hearings were held seeking their removal. Sounds like today's news. San Franciscans came to the defense of this building then, and true San Franciscans will do, this, will do the same now. This building is a New Deal museum. It is uh, truly one of the hearts of San Francisco. Um, we don't want to hear excuses from the planners. You, you can flip through one through eight if you want, kind of at random. We don't want to hear that something was zoned this way or approved that way. This whole matter comes down to the planning department messing up. We don't want to hear that the pilot is slumped over the wheel we want to hear which stewardess is going to land the plane. We are seeking a solution. With all due respect, we are looking to you to solve this obvious problem. Should there be any effort to seek compromise, please keep in mind that we have already done that. The department issued additional sign permits that we are not appealing. So the building owners already have been given those and all the existing signs, the original 1940 signs, the 1980s redevelopment signs. The bottom line, none of the signs under appeal 
now are necessary. Also, ask DBI, the organization that permitted dozens of seismically unsafe buildings around town that now need to be retrofitted, like the Millennium Tower, if it's wise to drill 200-some holes, more than 200, two inches or more into the walls of an 83-year-old concrete building. The walls are concrete. Older concrete buildings are recognized as the most vulnerable group of buildings in the city, and legislation is being prepared now to require their retrofitting. I know about this because I led a panel discussion at the uh, um, CSFN meeting in April where this was discussed. We had three seismic engineers, PhDs, and um, oh, please show graphic 18. And they emphasized the, the concern about um, concrete buildings around the city, non-ductile buildings. Um, is 18 the... Um, yeah, 18 is, uh, shows the bolts. Okay, this is from the sign plan. You can see the bolts. Even those silly wavy lines at the top have three bolts. And it says right there, going in two inches. Now, the, the sign company says the concrete wall is six inches thick. I don't know if they know that, but these bolts will go in a third of the way. And this sign, this, this is just one of four signs. There's, um, uh, I believe, 48. And you can count them. You can see, uh, like I said, the, even the wavy lines have three bolts going in into the concrete uh, two inches. Now, we raised this issue. This is a safety issue. We raised this in our brief, and council uh, downplayed the issue. And then I noticed that the engineering pages from the sign plan that shows all these bolts disappeared from their copy of the sign plan that they included in their brief. In other words, if you go through your the, the briefing material, you won't see this graphic. They took it out, and they actually took out a lot. You wouldn't even know about this issue if we didn't look uh, um, at the sign plan that's on the uh, city's website. We believe that this is uh, grounds for continuance of this matter. You don't have complete information. It's been concealed from you. And th this isn't the only uh, graphic. Um, we also don't know about the size of the signs, and that's another reason to continue this uh, matter. We need to get accurate information. Um, 
I, I guess I can bring it up. Um, Alec doesn't have it, but um, the dimensions given for the, the big signs on the front of the, or no, for the blade signs on the corner are inconsistent. Uh, so we don't know how big they are. Let me see if I can bring this up. I paused your time. Okay, thanks. It says uh, that it'll stop screen sharing if I do this. Uh, you can share your screen. Okay. Um, well, I, I don't know if you can read that. It's pretty difficult, but this is the, the, their sign plan. I added the red arrows in the we don't comment see it. below. We don't see your it's, exhibit. It hasn't been shared. Oh, I, I sorry. I don't know how to. Uh, you could put it on the camera if you want. Yeah. Um, sorry, just a second. Okay, I do happen to have it handy. Uh, this is page 28 of the sign plan. Uh, let me get out of screen sharing. I'm afraid I'm going to disconnect the whole. Do you want to shift your camera a little too? You tilted it up before. Thank you. Sorry, I'm seeing other things. Okay. Well, anyway, this is page 28 of their sign plan. Well, this uh, this isn't going to work, is it? Well, I'm under oath. <laughs> Take my word for it. It's the description, the official description of the blade signs. And there's two dimensions right next to each other, one on the diagram of the blade sign and then in the um, text on the side. And one of them is 45% higher than the other, the size. So we don't know how big it is. And the permits make it clear that the sign plan is what they're implementing. I mean, they say that on the permits that, you know, this is a sign that's been approved and it'll be installed per the sign plan. Well, which size is it? 45% is a, is a pretty big difference. So that's another uh, reason this matter should be continued to get, get accurate information. Uh, let's see. In trying to uh, determine what went wrong in the approval of all these signs, we realized that uh, there's a situation here of the tail wagging the dog. The owner's reps advise standing planning staff that the signs are administratively approved, not the other way around. There's a memo in, in council's brief where they say that. They're basically guiding the planning staff. But the owner's representatives are misinterpreting code. 
and then advising planning staff based on the misinterpretations. Council cites an ordinance passed in 2018 to streamline approvals. It's number 179-18 and, and Council's Exhibit E. But the ordinance makes it clear that the installation of signs on a landmark must, quote, conform to the um, requirements outlined in section 1006.6. And then council, of course, doesn't provide 1006.6 in her brief, which states that work on a landmark, quote, shall in all cases consider the factors of architectural style, design, arrangement, texture, materials, color, and, in, and any other pertinent factors. Any others, that's pretty broad. In section C of 1006.6, it states, quote, the proposed work shall preserve, enhance, or restore and shall not damage or destroy the exterior architectural features of the landmark. It further states the proposed work shall not adversely affect the special character or special historical, architectural, or aesthetic interest or value of the uh, landmark. In the case of an important landmark like this, every consideration should be given regarding certificates of appropriateness, review by the Preservation Commission, et cetera, et cetera. These signs in no way enhance the architectural features of this landmark. The um, signing, signage plan says nothing about streamline modern, says nothing about the architect, and it's, it's pretty obvious they really don't know those things. They were tasked with coming up with some signs, and they did, just some signs. The uh, uh, insertion of over 200 bolts is certainly damaging the exterior, and also the removal of the existing bolts for the existing signs will mar the um, exterior as well. I mean, you've probably noticed when the, whenever a building removes a sign that's been bolted in, it's never a clean job. And I can show you a photo even here where a sign was removed and you always see the patch. 30 seconds. Sorry? You have 30 seconds. No, <laughs> okay. Um, Don't forget these signs, if you approve them today, will be permanent. We pointed out in our brief that they could say anything, Coca-Cola, whatever, and Council in her brief did not dispute thank, that. Thank you, that's time. Okay, thank okay, you. Thank you very much. We do have a question from President Swig. Um, just um, make myself a note. Um, so, uh, thank you very much for using all 27 minutes. 
it's not unusual when somebody says I'm not going to do it and they do it. Uh, and I, I, I found your, your I'm, I'm not being snarky, I found your, found your testimony being very substantial, very important. Um, as we sit here uh, tonight and we have to uh, come up with a direction, um, and, and I noted this in uh, the, the permit holder's brief, uh, they accused you of basically saying, well, I, I don't like the signs, and that's why, uh, you know, it's very arbitrary, personal taste, um, and just because you don't like the signs doesn't mean that you can find, you know, get a positive nod to your appeal. Um, and and what I'd like to hear from you, and I know you just used 27 minutes of your time, if you could provide me, if you were sitting here in, in the place of one of uh, the commissioners who, where we have to find a legal basis uh, for your appeal, in, and, and I'm, I'm trusting that you will be short in your answer, please. Uh, what, is the, what would be the legal basis uh, that we could support uh, your appeal, or be, or a legal basis if there are more than than one, other than the fact that you don't like the signs. Can you can you really uh, telescope that into uh, a couple of bullet points for us, please? You're on mute, sir. You're on mute. I thought those comments sounded a little snarky, and they sounded like boilerplate taken from a, you know, a project where there's a new building and people say they don't like it, and it's pretty subjective. Um, so, but, what would be? Give me one, two, or three uh, bases that would be. Uh, items that would be based on legal precedent or or legal compliance uh, to um, planning code or otherwise, uh, why we should bind in your favor on this appeal, because we have to do that if we're going to be able to uh, fully support your, uh, your direction. Sure. Well, I, I mentioned the ordinance um, that points back to, um, you know, that, that talks about, um, let's see how specific it was. Well, it, 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 it indicates that section 1006.6 is still relevant. And that's all about subjective stuff. Architectural style, design, arrangement, texture, materials, color, um, stuff like that, and, and, the, and the need to preserve, enhance, and restore the, the building to not damage or destroy it. Um, the proposed work shall not adversely affect the special character, historical, architectural, or aesthetic interest or value of the landmark. And remember, I cited a couple of experts that say that. And I jokingly 
said, I'd put my experts up against their experts, the cities or whoever, any day. These signs are clearly no, and make no effort to match a streamlined modern design. They're just standard modern um, uh, advertising signs, and they are advertising, um, none of which has been seen um, since the building opened in, in the 1940s. This is all new. And the number, you know, the number of them clearly ruin the look of the building. Streamline, if you go to Wikipedia and look up Streamline Modern, and I would recommend you all do that now on your iPhones. Just go to Wikipedia, Streamline Modern, and look at the pictures. One of the definitions of Streamline Modern is that they have a lot of um, unadorned space on the side that's almost always painted white or a light color. Well, the permit holders obviously see that space as not streamlined modern, but, but places to put signs. So they're, you know, they're just fighting the, um, the design. They clearly have no appreciation for the history of the building. That's why they proposed putting a lounge in the lobby. And, you know, they just, they don't know um, about, about style and architecture. I, the, the permit holder is basically a corporation and a real yeah. estate. Thank you, for, thank you. Thank you for your answers. I have to cut you off because you're, you're wandering back into your testimony, which was very good, and we already heard it. Uh, I want to ask you one more thing. So I'm going to read from the brief of uh, the permit holder, and, um, and you can tell me please, about uh, how you uh, discovered that this project was underway. Uh, and I'm going to read directly from the brief um, so it's pretty clear. Quote, appellant alleges that the, uh, quote, building permits were issued in secret behind closed doors and over the counter by San Francisco Planning Department. Uh, this is simply untrue. Uh, the, this is simply untrue as is written in the, the text. Uh, the owner initiated review of the MSP on, in June uh, 22nd at the meeting with the planning staff. The meeting details are publicly available on city websites. I'm going to stop there. Uh, how do you find out, how did you find out that the signing process was going on, that an MSP had been developed? Um, and, you know, when we do a 311 notice, that's a 311 notice is a, a notice that a, a, a big building project is, is going to happen. There is a, um, you got to let everybody know within 150 feet. Sorry, I probably got the footage wrong uh, in the neighborhood that, that there's going to be a change in the building envelope, et cetera, et cetera. But how did, how did you find out? Uh, what was the communication uh, from planning? What was the communication from the building owner? Or, uh, or did you just happen to, as it says, oh, uh, the, um, uh, the, it, it was on the city website, so of course it was publicly available. Did you happen to stumble across the city website and, and see that this MSP had been done? How, do you find, how did you find out? What was the communication? 
Well, we've we've made it our job to monitor um, actually historic buildings in the neighborhood, and certainly here. Uh, but we haven't needed to um, protect our the building on on site here. So I've uh, over the years found a website that uh, lists things. I can't, I don't remember what it's called, but it's kind of obscure. A planner asked me that, and she was surprised. Um, so there's some obscure place that the average person certainly doesn't know about or have access to. And, you know, going to the, finding out through the city website or an ad, you know, a public notice, those are not um, to aid the public at all. Those are as dark and, and mysterious as, um, as can be. So, to, so I'm sorry to cut you off, but I want to streamline it. So in, in fact, uh, it, let me just ask a straight question. Did planning, did anybody from planning uh, uh, call you or your organization or any of the neighbors in your building and say, you know, that we just, we just passed this MSP or we've just recommended this MSP? Uh, or did the building owner uh, come to you and say, uh, you or any of the residents or, or interested parties in the building come uh, come and, uh, and divulge that there was this this project going on. None of those. Okay, thank you. I'm going to yield to Mr. Trisvenia. Thank you, President Swig, and thank you, Mr. Osgood, for your testimony both here today as well as the materials that you submitted um, to us uh, on, on on this appeal. You, you began your testimony by saying you'd like to, to start the process anew. And that brings me to, I will ask a question, but I, I, I want to, I'm concerned, I'm trying to start a distinction between whether the process was followed or whether there is not a sufficient process that would address your concerns. So uh, you've, you've answered the to President Swig, my question was, when did you first get involved? Uh, well, is the first time your involvement in the process through this appeal? Well, I'm not sure there there there, were, there wasn't any formal process, was there? Um, I I did reach out to planning staff after I found out about them on my own. In fact, that email, which we may or may not have brought up on the screen, where they said there wouldn't be any more blade signs, was in, in response, I believe, to an email from me. Yes, thank you. And if you could clarify, for the record, you state your, your objections, your, your concerns, your view that uh, the signs are unneeded or they're ugly, or et cetera. Can you... Can you state who your objections are on behalf of? Um, well, historic preservation is a worldwide concept. I mean, in China, Russia, every continent. Okay, Mr. Osgood, I apologize. I didn't ask the, the, the question precisely. Are you, while I'm sure there are millions, if not more than that, of people who agree with your view, and we have the 18 letters uh, that have been part of the record, 
there are organizations from around the city. You're, uh, what I'm trying to get, what your what your stand what your standing is is you are a neighbor, resident, tenant. What what is your standing, and who who else do you speak on behalf of? Well, I, I am currently president of the Tenants Association here at uh, RINCON. I'm on the executive board of the Coalition for San Francisco Neighborhoods, which uh, weighed in on this unanimously. Um, so that, that, that's helpful. Is, so, is, so should I conclude that the Tenants Association, that you, the position you're stating tonight is the position of the Tenants Association? Yes, sir. Great. Thank you. And the, um, but you showed in graphic 14 uh, two signs, one of which was uh, included a Yank Sing restaurant sign. Do you object to those signs or whether you're appealing them or not? Are, are those the kinds of signs you're objecting to? Those signs, you mean mentioning Yank Sing or blade signs? The, those were uh, the, the two-sided signs that hang out usually at the corner of a building that are really dinosaurs and, you know, you don't see going up anymore except here um, are, are extremely objectionable. And, and, you know, we're done away with, for the most part, 30 30 or 40 years ago, there were, you're all probably too young to remember, but I remember there was a campaign to reduce sign clutter in just about every city. It was part of the environmental movement starting in the 70s, and it was and it worked. Right. Well, what I'm hoping to find here, and I will ask the planning department as, as perhaps the city attorney as well at the appropriate time, is uh, what standards are, are what standards should we have in terms of what's the appropriate signage, or is this something where this sh where you would request that we s that all of this go back to the planning department for your views to be taken into account? Well, I, you know, there were standards set. I mean, in 1940 the decisions were made about how many signs were needed. When it was redeveloped, those um, decisions were made, and those stood for 30 years, at least. And, you know, frankly, some things are self-evident. I mean, I showed you some of the other historic buildings. None of them seem to have any signs. They're very minimal. So there, there is something wrong here, clearly. Um, and I would stand by that. It's, it's maybe it's my opinion. But if this were on the ballot, 95% of the people would agree. I have no doubt about that whatsoever. Okay. Well, I, I guess I'm looking, looking for a standard by which we will take this matter up at the end of the testimony. But I appreciate your... Your, your testimony, and I'll ask other questions later. Thank you very much. Yeah, the 1940 standard and the 1980s standard. Okay, thank you. We will now hear from the permit holder, and uh, Ms. Sullivan is here representing the permit holder. You have 28 minutes. Thank you. 
Thank you. Tara Sullivan from Ruben, Junius, and Rose, here on behalf of the project sponsor, Hudson Pacific Properties, and holder of the four mentioned permits. Um, I'm not going to use the entire time. Um, I will go about 11 to 12 minutes. I will be repeating some of the things that are in the brief that uh, Commissioner Swig has already mentioned. Um, the appeal before you this evening concerns 101 Spear Street, otherwise known as Recon Center. We request that this board deny the appeal and uphold the issuance of the permits. The permits, which are for the replacement of signs at the property, conform to the property's approved master sign plan and the applicable provisions of the city's planning code. The appellant's arguments are speculative at best and based on his subjective opinion about what looks better at the property. He has not provided any legitimate grounds on which to base the appeal or to overturn these permits. Recon Center is a large mixed-use development that encompasses the full block bounded by Mission Street to the north, Stewart to the east, Howard to the south, and Spear to the west. Centered around the historic Recon Annex Post Office, the complex consists of two components, the historic post office structure constructed in 1939 that fronts the Mission Street, and a mixed-use development that was constructed in 1989. In 1980, the historic Recon Annex Post Office was designated as a city landmark number 107 under Article 10 of the Planning Code. In the late 1980s, the remainder of the block was developed into the current mixed-use complex we see today. The current signage was installed by previous owners in the late 80s and early 90s. The owner, Hudson Pacific Properties, purchased the property in 2010. In addition to Recon Center, they own several other important buildings in San Francisco, many of which are either individually designated as landmarks or located within historic and conservation districts, including the Ferry Building, an individual landmark dated from 1977, designated, um, 901 Market Street, 625 Second Street, and 275 Brandon Street. Hudson Pacific is a committed steward of these important landmarks and understands the value that they bring to the culture and the people of the city. In fact, they are undertaking a million-dollar restoration project at the Ferry Building, which is in the last stages of construction. To say that this owner lacks appreciation for historic buildings, as the appellant states, is simply untrue. The landmark post office building and interior murals and lobby at the Recon Center are what makes this property unique and valuable. They appreciate the landmark building that they own. Returning to the appeal, even before the pandemic hit in 2020, Hudson Pacific was hearing from their tenants at Recon Center that they were struggling to get foot traffic and or people locating their businesses. The site is very large and multifaceted with several entrances on each block face. In particular, the commercial retailers were having a hard time getting customers. All of this was exasperated by COVID, which saw many of their tenants vacate. Hudson Pacific wants to make Recon Center a success to generate new customers and persons to, to the site. The property had not gone, undergone upgrades in many decades. The finishes were worn, the interior atrium was fading, and in particular, the signage from the 80s was not efficient. So in late 1921 to 22, the owner decided to upgrade the signage throughout the property and initiated the review of a master sign program with the planning department. Due to this property containing a designated landmark, any proposed exterior changes, including signs, requires preservation review. There was an initial project review meeting with preservation staff in June of 2022, and over the next several months, Hudson Pacific worked with staff to refine the proposal, including modifications to materials and finish. And in September of 2022, the 101 Spear Street Master, plan, Master Sign Plan, MSP, was found to be compliant with the preservation standards of Article 10 and approved. Per planning department procedures, and the MSP was uploaded into the city's databases for reference when the subsequent building permits to install these signs at the property were reviewed by planning staff. The four permits at issue were applied for under the MSP. They were reviewed by planning staff and found to be conforming with the MSP, and uh, with the final permits being issued in May of 2023. 
Turning to the merits of the case, the appellant provides no sound reasoning behind his appeal. His arguments are purely subjective, a difference of opinion about what is appropriate at this property. He disdains the current requirements of Article 6 and Article 10, which do allow for administrative review and approval of signage on landmark sites. He assumes to have more knowledge than qualified preservation professionals, even more than the Board of Supervisors who amended the code specifically to allow for administrative review of signs on landmark buildings. Further, the appellant has not shown how the issue permits adversely affect his personal interests or the public interests, the legal standard as required under Charter Section 4.106. The appellant alleges that the building permits were issued in secret, behind closed doors, and over the counter by the department. Again, this is simply not true. The MSP is a publicly available document on the city's databases and has been available since 20, September of 2022. Further, most permits in the city, including sign permits, are issued over the counter, meaning if they meet the applicable code requirements, then they are approved by planning staff. This is not a secret process or behind closed doors. It happens in public at the planning counter. Under planning code section 604, sign permits must be approved if they apply with article six of the planning code and they are subject to very limited review other than compliance with established standards in that article. Here, the MSP was referenced on each permits application and approved in line with standard practice. There is nothing irregular or nefarious about this process as the appellant seems to imply. The appellant further complains that there was no neighborhood notice, hearing, or opportunity for comment. These processes are just not required for signed permits, which are subject to a very limited discretion. The appellant bemoans the current review process, arguing that it has allowed planning staff to degrade preservation standards. This is not the case. In 2018, the Board of Supervisors purposely passed legislation to allow signage on landmark buildings to be approved administratively. It did not remove preservation review of signage. It just removed the cumbersome and time-consuming entitlement process. The Board made findings in that legislation that administrative review was in the best interest of the city, met the city's general plan goals and policies, and that it would not adversely harm the public. If the appellant has an issue with the current review process, they should seek change at the legislative level, not with the permits that were reviewed and approved appropriately. Disagreement with city procedures is not an adequate basis for revoking these permits. The appellant does admit that historic preservation is somewhat subjective and says that the MSP does not show good judgment. Both Article 6 and Article 10, 6 for signs, 10 for landmark buildings, require that historic preservation professionals review signage against the Secretary of the Interior's standards for the treatment of historic properties. Those are the base requirements that landmark properties have to meet. The planning department has qualified staff that meets the Secretary of the Interior's professional qualification standards for preservation. Hudson Pacific worked with preservation staff throughout this entire MSP process, and it was preservation staff that approved the final MSP. Surely professionals that meet the national requirements for preservation review are knowledgeable about what would or would not be appropriate at the landmark site. That he disagrees with what planning staff approved is just a difference of opinion. It is not a reason for overturning these four permits. Hudson, Pop, Hudson Pacific and the planning department followed all legal requirements for the sign permits, for landmark structures, and there were no errors in the issuance of the permits. Importantly, the MSP was found to meet all applicable preservation standards and not to have an adverse impact to the landmark. Moving on to the individual appeals, the appellant appealed permit ending in 1018 on the basis that two-sided blade signs are, an eyesore, are eyesores and have been restricted for decades. This statement is not correct. Blade signs are still permitted under the planning code, and there are ample examples of them throughout the city. They are included as examples in the sign brochure from the planning department available on the website. The only regulation on blade signs is the distance they project from a building and the height that they can be in, uh, on a building. 
The signs under this permit conform to these standards, and whether the appellant considers the design an eyesore is irrelevant to the approval of the permit itself. The rest of the appellant's arguments against this permit are strictly per his personal opinion. He states that new blade signs should be prohibited everywhere, whatever their size. This is ultimately a legislative question beyond the scope of this appeal. The code allows the replacement of signs and installation of signs at the size and placement proposed. The appellant cannot fairly insist that this permit and the other permits be revoked based on what he thinks the law should be. If he wants to see blade signs prohibited, then again, he should pursue this through the legislative process. The appellant appeals the permit ending in 1021 for a tenant business sign on the basis that it would be totally out of, base, out of place on this landmark. He mentions that it could read Nick's gyros or that it could be changed to Bud Light. These are First Amendment issues that the city cannot opine on. The worthiness of a sign does not and cannot depend on the name of a subject tenant. The city has extremely limited authority in regulating the contents of a sign, especially one that simply names an on-site business. The appellant's argument provides absolutely no basis to deny this permit. The remainder of the appellant's arguments against this permit are highly subjective and his personal opinions, such that it being totally out of place demonstrates a lack of respect for the historic design and is of no importance. I again reiterate that the sign is consistent with all applicable regulations and was approved by planning under the MSP, which, is cons which consider the context of the entire site. Further, the proposed sign is merely lettering, and so long as it, comp it comports with the size placement and other regulations of the code, it cannot, the city cannot regulate the content of the sign or disapprove or approve a sign based on potential tenant. The appellant appeals the permit ending in 1015 to change the four existing recon center identifying signs, currently arranged as two separate recon and two separate center signs to simply read recon center on various, um, he appe he's appealing them on basis of uh, subjective design issues. His arguments center on the addition of words, the use of a logo, poor symbolism, and excessive clutter. None of these are reasons to su to are sufficient grounds to revoke this permit. We would like to highlight the fact that this permit replaces four existing signs with four new signs that front on the sign and that the font on the signs is smaller overall and that although the new signs are taller in vertical dimension, they are narrower in horizontal dimension. On balance, the replacement of the signs occupy roughly the same physical area as the existing signs. The appellant's arguments as to the utility and use of symbolism of these signs is irrelevant to the issuance of this permit. The appellant's second argument, which he did touch on, was about uh, changing, that changing all the signs will require new bolt holes in the historic facade and the patching of the old bolt holes. He says that there's nothing to guarantee that these holes would be patched and painted correctly. This argument, this is an inefficient argument uh, for revoking the permits. All work on the historic facade will strictly follow required standards for work on landmark buildings, including any adopted or recommended methods for uh, treatments of such work. The permit cannot be overturned simply on the unsupported allegation that the work may be performed incorrectly, may not look great afterward. If there are any issues with the work once completed, there are available channels to report this and to correct any, any work done. The appellant appeals the final permit ending in 1011 on the basis that the signs would change very little and thus should not be changed at all. The two existing signs are read together as recon center, shops, and restaurants. The permit here reduces the amount of signage. It removes the shops and restaurants portions to just have recon center split across two signs. The lettering and materials would be updated to conform with the rest of the signage plan. 
Although this permit would remove three words and reduce the overall size of the two signs in both the vertical and horizontal dimensions, seemingly implementing changes that the appellant has pushed in his other appeals, he now takes issue with this uh, for the signs. He provides no reasoning except for it's important that they not be changed. Again, not a reason to overturn this permit. In conclusion, uh, the appellant has not provided a substantial basis for overturning these permits. Under the provisions of the planning code, the city has very limited discretion to deny a permit that conforms with Article 6. Further, signs for permits, permits for signs on designated landmarks are generally exempt from the provisions of Article 10, so long as the signs preserve the integrity of the underlying landmark. There is no separate entitlement required for the installation of signage. The department simply checks the work that complies with the preservation standards of the planning code. All such review was conducted under the property's MSP. Given that they conform to the MSP and the applicable regulations of Article 6 and 10, the permits were properly approved. The planning department, which is charged with implementing the city's historic preservation policies, reviewed the permits and found them to comply. For these reasons, we respectfully request that the board deny the appeal and uphold the issuance of these four permits. I'm available for questions as our representatives from Hudson Pacific Properties. Thank you. Thank you. We do have a question from President Swig, then Commissioner Lemberg. Yeah, I got a couple questions. So, Councilor, uh, your, your brief was very skillful, very wonderful, and uh, Hudson Pacific is uh, very well represented. And uh, I thought you manipulated uh, the your interpretations of Article 6 and 10 uh, very positively for their use. I don't agree, but I got to compliment you. This is one of the best briefs I've ever seen, but I don't agree. Uh, and I'm going to ask you about that, okay? Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to read from, I'm going to read something from the city uh, that talks about historic preservation. So this isn't brick telling you about you know, what I think it is, but this is from the city. And I, when I read, I have to preface it by saying, you know, we hear a lot of cases here from uh, statues uh, that some people felt should be torn down for right reasons, mm -hmm. um, buildings where there might be um, big buildings where there might be a physical adjustment required, uh, and s small houses that are old, mm -hmm. uh, that uh, they're, they're old and they're, they have a landmark status. And I, I, after reading your brief, I, I said, gee whiz, I didn't know that Historic Preservation Commission had been taken out of business. Because within the city, it says the Historical Preservation Commission shall advise the city on historic preservation matters participate in the processes that involve historic or cultural resources. Now, this Rincon Center is city landmark number 107 and designated for as a city landmark, mm -hmm. not only a federal landmark, but a city landmark in 1980. So where, where, did the, where did the Preservation Commission go? I mean, no, nothing, in, I mean, you did a great job. I tell you, beautiful. But where's the Preservation Commission? And, you know, what do they think about this? I don't care about what planning says. You know, because what happened, why didn't, I'm sitting here asking myself, and I'll ask you, because, you know, and we'll have a discussion, why are we hearing this for the first time? Mm -hmm. Why isn't the Preservation Commission heard this? 
very important landmark, number 107, designated in 1980. Why hasn't they been consulted for their views on this and then provided a, a certificate of appropriateness so that somebody like Mr. Odgood can come and appeal as the law says they can? So where is historic preservation in all of this? Thank you, Commissioner President Spoig. Um, Tara Sullivan from Ruben and Junison Rose. The building is an individual landmark, and under Article 10, and it is subject to Article 10, and local standards are more strict than federal or state standards. Article 10, 10005 requires all exterior changes to an individual landmark or building in a historic district to be reviewed and, and obtain a certificate of appropriateness. That Article 10, and Section 1005 also says that the historic preservation shall approve all certificates of appropriateness. However, there is a delegation authority that is inherent in the charter section for the HPC, as well as reiterated in the planning code, that the HPC can delegate certain scopes of work to department staff for review. Every year, the HPC passes a resolution delegating certain scopes of work that staff that they feel should not be come to a public hearing not go through the waste of time, I wouldn't say waste of time, but the time and expense to go, I didn't mean waste of time, uh, go through the time to get a, a certificate of appropriateness at a public hearing, but still needs a certificate of appropriateness that can be reviewed by city staff. So for certain things such as windows, new storefronts, previously before 2018 it was signs, um, you know, uh, sidewalk changes, smaller, minor things, and I will defer to the planning department staff who can also speak to this, are oh, delegated. I'll, I'll ask okay. the same question. Uh, are delegated to department staff for review. Administrative certificates of appropriateness do require notice as well. Both a hearing C of A and an administrative C of A requires notice. In 2018, the Board of Supervisors passed legislation. They are above the Historic Preservation Commission. They passed legislation specifically saying, we do not feel that signs need an administrative certificate of appropriateness anymore. The code is very clear. It, it, Article 6 and Article 10 cross-reference and refer to each other. They say as long as it meets the standards in Article 10, 1006, which are the preservation standards meeting the Secretary of the Interior standards, then they can be approved without an administrative certificate of appropriateness and without notice. That is what the law allows. So I, I, while I can't disagree with you that the HPC was not involved in this direct permit review process, the law allows the process that occurred. Mm -hmm. um, so it's... it's I, yeah, and you don't mind if I, if I suggest later on maybe that we, uh, we kick the can on this and, and send this back to historical preservation because I disagree with you that this is a, this is a, this is a serious important building in mm -hmm. San Francisco and to skip over historical preservation commission I think is problematic for me, but we'll discuss that. Uh, and as far as, uh, so a certificate of appropriateness which would come to us is, it, you know, it says it's right in, um, right in the, in the city mandates here, uh, which would come to us from planning or would come, uh, planning commission, or would come to us from historical preservation commission. Uh, we're not seeing that certificate of appropriateness because the, they weren't even involved in this and, and a, a staff person decided to take it upon themselves and, uh, and issue an, the, go along with MSP? 
I think you're mischaracterizing it. It's not, they were not not involved because staff tried to avoid it. The, process, the legal process does not involve them. It's just that that is the process. You know, if an administrative certificate of appropriateness was required, we would have sought one. If a public hearing for the signages were required, we would have sought one. There was no avoidance of the HPC. This is an individual landmark. The, the owners are well aware. They've gone to, the, to preservation staff on numerous occasions for other preservation issues. Signage, unfortunately, does not go to the HPC, and it does not require a C of A. Yeah, I, I think this is beyond signage, but we'll have that discussion later. I'm uh, going to ask one more um, question that also puzzled me. So this, again, this is a city landmark, number 107, designated in 1980. And to get this permit in the first place to do the beautiful, some of the beautiful work that was done to resurrect the building from being an old, deteriorated, beat-up post office, uh, there, there must have been hearings and permit, uh, permit hearings and all sorts of approval. And uh, are you aware, what, and there's no mention of it, was there a, a master signage plan uh, back in the good old days when the initial permits were issued? And uh, if there were signage plans, which I'm sure there were, there had to be, because that's how you got signs in the first place, how do you suddenly uh, change plans? How can... When a building is approved for a conversion, permits are issued, there's a master signage plan associated with that. How can you come even 40 years later, 43 years later, and say, okay, new master signage plan, and we don't care what the old permit said? How does that work? Well, with this site, this is an unusual site. It's a, it was in the former redevelopment area. So the local... So was I. So the local city planning department uh, back in the day in the 70s and 80s was not, didn't have jurisdiction over this. So it was the former redevelopment agency. Mm -hmm. um, I can't speak to what happened back then, but um, obviously the, there was a proposal for re my read of the history of the site and my research of it was that there was a proposal for the post office encompassed the entire block. There was a proposal to demolish the entire block. Um, obviously, preservationists correctly got the Board of Supervisors to designate the building as a landmark. And my understanding is that there was some sort of, I wouldn't say deal created, but some sort of arrangement whereby the majority of the block, maybe the back of house of the post office functions, were able to be demolished, whereas the historic facade of the post office annex building, as well as the interior lobby and those murals, were designated interior landmarks and exterior landmarks. And at that time, in the 80s, I don't know if there was a, sign, a master signage plan. Um, I, you know, there is a cohesion to it, so I would assume they all were designed together and probably put up together. Um, but that does not preclude uh, a future owner or a few, anyone from modifying that sign plan. There's no um, finalization. You know, anyone can seek an amendment to a permit or an entitlement that they have. Um, it happens fairly regularly with the planning commission and, and the zoning administrator and the city departments and, and whatnot. So I think the, the goal here was, regardless of there being a master sign plan from the 80s, the Hudson Pacific found that the signage was not working for their needs and their current tenants, and it's needed to be upgraded. So they approached the city and said, we want to do a master sign plan. There's not one on record with the city, so we're going to create a new one and implement it. So do you, did, was due diligence done? And I'm going to ask Ms. Tang uh, to comment on, on this. Was there due diligence done 
to to find uh, to look at the file that was originally done on the ba then and on which the basis which was the basis for the permit which was issued in 1980 was there a signage plan and was there a requirement to adhere to that signage plan in perpetuity especially in consideration that it's a uh, uh, both a federal and a city landmark so did you or, or is it just convenient that um, you, you're saying to me I'm not being accusatory yeah. but people have done things like you just okay we're just assuming that this is okay but and without doing the due diligence but have you done your due diligence and should we not ask Historic Preservation Commission to do their job and determine as to uh, determine what was the basis of the permit was there a master, master signage agreement and uh, you know because we don't know whether those uh, you know the 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 graphic I've walked by it a hundred times I drove by it twice today uh, the 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 signage that says that talks about the post office mm -hmm. Can that be? Hey, let's hey let's let's uh, scratch that one out and and put somebody else's name up there. You know, do do we know what the restrictions are? Are you making the assumption that uh, there was a uh, that there just wasn't one? Um, I did not personally I, go into ask Ms. Tang the same thing. So. Excuse me, uh, Commissioner uh, President Swig. I have not dug into personally dug into the redevelopment agency's historic files. We have done title searches. There's no notice of special restriction placed on this property okay. requiring the signed permit plan. Um, I know that Hudson Pacific has done their due diligence, um, and I think planning did as well. I'll let them speak to that. But I personally have not. Um, I again would like to reiterate that the Historic Preservation Commission, um, you know, has delegated signs and sign review to preservation staff in the past, up until 2018, um, and that the law currently allows preservation qualified preservation staff to review the signage under the Secretary of the Interior sign, uh, standards to make sure that they're appropriate, does not damage, is not excessive, and whatnot, and that their staff did that. Um, and I would argue that you know it was done properly and that no further review would be needed. All of the signs here are replacement signs with the exception of two. So they, there is not a, an excessive new amount of signage happening here. It's all kind of a one-for-one -one upgrading and modernizing uh, what is currently there. So it's, it's um, not, with the, like I said, with the exception of two signs, that, that everything is a replacement. Yeah, there's an inherent conflict between landmark status and modernizing, but we can d discuss semantics at some later point because I think Commissioner Lemberg wants to talk now. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, President Swig, and thank you, Ms. Sullivan. Um, as, a preliminary, as a preliminary matter, uh, I'm sorry if I get a little fiery. Both I am very passionate about historic preservation and the mayor cut our food budget. Um, so uh, with that said, um, I want to start by, yeah, thanks. Um, I believe that you, I, I, I Concur with President Swig that uh, that your brief was wonderful and very artful in many ways, um, and uh, I believe it did a very effective job of doing what at least five of us up on this panel learned our first week in law school in legal research and writing, which is minimizing the opposing viewpoint. Um, and specifically, what I'm talking about here is Section 10 1006.6, um, which, as you've Correctly cited, there is an exception in section 1005E6 
that uh, that says that specifically allows for signs to be exempted from this, as provided that signage awnings and transparency conform to the requirements outlined in te section 1006.6. Your following paragraph then proceeds to say the requirements outlined in section 1006.6 generally require that any such work aims to preserve the integrity of the landmark site, such as by following the Secretary of the Interior's standards and or any other specified requirements under Article 10. Taken together, these provisions exempt the installation of business signs from, ex uh, from obtaining a certificate of appropriateness if they conform to the SOI standards. Here's where we start to get a little bit dicey. Section 1006.6 in its plain language um, states several other things as well, that the Secretary of the Interior's guidance, which by the way is uh, a 172 page document uh, plus a part B that I didn't even read because it wasn't relevant, um, presumably hundreds of more pages. Um, it says several other things that in appraising the effects and relationships mentioned herein, the decision-making body, in this case, the planning department, the, uh, the uh, shall in all cases consider the factors of architectural style, design, arrangement, texture, materials, color, and any other pertinent factors. It also says the proposed work shall be appropriate for and consistent with the effectuation of the purposes of Article 10, which is a really broad statement. And it says the proposed work shall comply with the Secretary of the Interior's standards, uh, which is a very lengthy document, as I just said. And um, it also says several other things that I think are less relevant. So. Going into my questions, number one, uh, where in the record that you've submitted supports the fact or the assertion that the planning department made explicit findings that all preservation standards were met? Uh, and specifically, your Exhibit C in your brief uh, is a series of emails that, to my reading, don't say anything to that effect at all. So that's my first question. Thank you, Commissioner. Um, the Secretary of the Interior Standards, in addition to being a long document, ultimately comes down to, for it's really the Secretary of the Interior Standards for Rehabilitation. And there are uh, 10 findings that need to be met. They are broad, generalized findings. They don't, they're not necessarily rule-based. They are, you know, protect the integrity of the landmark, differentiate the old from the new, um, and whatnot. The further articulation in Article 10006 uh, mentions materials, uh, you know, other things that you talked about. All of those things are inherently uh, built into the Secretary of the Interior standards. Um, I am here as an attorney. I also have a, a master's in historic preservation and was a practicing preservationist for many years. So I do share your passion for historic preservation. Um, I, I cannot speak and I'm not going to speak on behalf of a preservation planner at the planning department. Um, that is their job and that they will, they are the, the staff that made the determination that the project, the MSP, uh, met the secretary's standards, that the materials were okay. You're right, the email that I submitted did not explicitly say that. Um, conversations were had with staff. We had meetings with staff that, you know, we talked about it. It was uh, inherently implied through their approval of that master plan that it met the Secretary of the Interior Standards in Section 1006. Thank you. Um, next question. Um, I, I think you've actually already answered that uh, in President Swig's questioning. So uh, I, I believe, just to reiterate, it was your position that uh, the waiver of the necessity of a certificate of appropriateness was appropriate here? 
That is your position? It is the appropriate process that the law allows, yes. Okay. If so, um, please explain, and maybe uh, maybe your, uh, your clients are better suited for this, but please explain to this body how these signs specifically, the, the, all the signs that are before us tonight on appeal, um, comply with these uh, Secretary of the Interior's standards, um, which is actually what I was hoping that your briefing would address, um, having uh, reviewed the law in this area. Um, and I don't believe it's just a 10-point plan. I'm reading a very lengthy document that has several dozens of recommendations uh, for the uh, specifically for new exterior additions to historic buildings and related new construction, which I, I, would you agree this clearly falls under that category? Okay. Um, so how, how do these signs specifically comply with all of those different requirements? Commissioner, I would actually defer to the preservation staff who approved that. It's not my role as an attorney to make a determination based that the planning department staff needs to make. It is a preservation planner's review of, how, of each sign and of the master sign plan in totality. Okay, next related question. Um, please describe the efforts that your client has made to follow all of those standards. And this one cannot be answered by planning staff um, and can only be answered by, by you and your clients. Um, I, I will let my client come up, uh, come up but I, I, you know, having been at the table through the process, they know that this building is an individual landmark. They know that this building needs, the signage needs special treatment. They were very careful in, the, you know, in replacing signs. They didn't say we want a third sign over here and a fifth sign over here. They said these signs, for example, around the entrance that says shopping and center were not working. They were like, they wanted to replace them with updated contemporary, more contemporary looking signage. They didn't go for illumination. They pared down the materials. They, you know, the finish, the sizing was similar to what is currently there. They looked at to what was existing, which was also found to be appropriate for the individual landmark and changed it slightly. They knew that, I, mean, I think they approached this whole process with this is an individual landmark and we have to meet the secretary's standards. So that's what they did and their sign company did as well. well I, I appreciate the assertion that, it's, that they were careful. I would love to hear the details about how they were careful. I can't, I can't speak to that. I don't, would you like to stand up or no? I think they were, they've spent a lot of time on this. That's, that I can say. Commissioner, my name is Jared Willis. I'm the Director of Construction for Hudson Pacific Properties. Uh, to your question, Professor, or excuse me, Commissioner, um, I think we are, as previously mentioned, stewards of other great San Francisco properties, including the Ferry Building, which is obviously an incredible landmark. Uh, we own historic properties in Seattle around Pioneer Square, uh, Los Angeles, uh, centuries-old movie studios. Um, I, I would like to say that we take a really vested interest in making sure that not only do we honor the properties that we own, but we have to keep them current to some degree. We have to make them attractive to tenants and to retail, to office users. Um, you know, we chose fonts that align with the current fonts. Uh, the waves, you know, we, we love the, the dolphin motif. We chose the wave design because it mimicked that. It also mimics the stamp of a post office uh, stamp, so it takes some of the other historical notions into account of the property. So it's not, I don't believe we are capricious in our design or our requests here. We are, um, we have retail as well as office users at the property. It's no secret that, you know, retail's hurting the city. We need to make an attractive uh, place for 
retail and office tends to like to come, and this is one of the ways that we can invite those people to our area and, and help revitalize the, uh, the city of that area, too. So as to the specific guidelines uh, to Equitara, um, you know, we rely on other staff to make those judgments for us, but I think we did try hard to, to meet those, the, the original purpose of the building and the original intent. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I have one more question for Ms. Sullivan, uh, and this is more just asking for an acknowledgement on your part, because in your, uh, in your, uh, in your time, you stated that uh, the, unique, the, the, the values of this property were unique and, uh, and valuable, and you specifically cited to the murals and the interior, uh, but I wanted to get an acknowledgement from you that the uh, ordinance from 1980 designating this also very Absolutely. clearly states yeah, yeah. that no, the exterior is just as important as the interior. And it's a significant interior. architect, and yes, it's an exa excellent example of Streamline Modern, and it is a rare example of that type of building in San Francisco. So yes, of course. Okay, thank you. I pass to Commissioner Trasvino. Thank you. I'll, I will try to be brief in my questions, and, and hopefully, uh, I can get to the. You can get to the point that I'm 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 trying to get for, on information. Uh, I'd like to ask the same questions to both sides, just mm -hmm. both in, in both a perception of fairness, but also trying to get trying to get perspectives on both. I asked um, I asked the appellant uh, questions about his standing and who who else is who else. He speaks on behalf of. If I could ask you, uh, are who else wants these signs other than the other than your clients, if if anyone? I will have to defer to our client, my, my client, excuse me, uh, the owner. But I think the owners would like to upgrade the signs. They've owned this property since 2010. They've had the existing signs. It's not like they came last year. They've been living with these signs for many years. Um, and they are not working. They've heard from their tenants, uh, both the current ones and the ones that have left. And so, yes, I think right now it's the owner is the person, entity, that is requesting the new signage. Okay. So it's the owner's judgment that it's good for the tenants based on his experience, et cetera. And, Correct. Right, great. And the second is um, what we've talked about in terms of the, the Historic Preservation Commission being involved, Secretary Holland's 10 points that should be characterized. How typical or how different was the process for these signs as compared to other matters you've brought before the planning, planning department in terms of scrutiny over historical purpose or, oh. or, or these standards? I would say that it's, it was the same level. I, I you know, regularly represent build property owners of historic buildings, uh, commercial and private, and I regularly apply for certificates of appropriateness that have to go to public hearing as well as administratively. Um, it involves, we usually do a project review meeting, which is a pre-meeting to kind of show them the project to get initial feedback. We get, we file an app, the difference here is that we just didn't file an application, but there was still a back and forth with planning and preservation staff about the signs, about the materials, about, you know, we had, I think they did three iterations of plans to get to the final master sign plan. That is very common with, uh, with many other administrative and public hearing processes. Thank so you. So there was and a high level of preservation review. Thank you. And, and, and finally, Mr. Osgood has raised concerns about the, uh, the maintenance of the sign. Mm -hmm. Don't ask so much about that, but does, 
do you is it your you or your client's view that uh, having this approved allows you to in the future change the text of the sign or the size of the sign or if, if there's a if it falls off do you have to go back to the planning department to get a, a approval for a replacement what what is it that we are approving um, Article 6 regulates when signs need permits. Um, so you can change out copy on a, on a sign without uh, a new permit from the city. You can't change the size, you can't change you know, dimensions, uh, materials, anything significant about the sign, the placement, the, you know, the holes and everything needs a new sign permit. You can swap out tenants. So you know, if you go and think about a uh, business identification sign and beginning in, in office buildings, tenants change. You can change out the tenants. You see the commercial storefronts oftentimes have the same signage, and they just change from Bob's Burgers to you know Abe's something or another. So the sign itself stays the same. It's just the tent, the the copy changes. Here, as the master plan uh, states. Tenant signage can change. Recon center, all of those type of that those that significant signage cannot be changed without a new permit from the city. But the uh, other signage, which actually is not subject to this uh, these appeals, tenant signage can be changed out as tenants come and go in a building. Thank you. Mm -hmm. One more question from Commissioner Lemberg. I have one more question. Yes, I'm sorry. Um, no. Uh, this is actually for your client, um, and the question is: uh, Did you did you read all the public comment that was submitted in this matter? The letters that are submitted, yes. Did did those letters have any effect on your thinking around this uh, around this subject or this appeal? I don't think they changed my thinking about it. I mean, again, I think we've been very diligent in this process and really tried to think it through. Um, I think we're making smart choices about this signage. Um, we're replacing largely like for like in most cases. Um, again, I understand there's a difference of opinion about what should be on there versus what should not be. Uh, but I think we are following the rules and again, trying to trying to follow the at least some of the existing elements as much as possible in our design. Thank you. Thank you. We will now hear from the planning department. Good evening, President Swig, members of the board. I'm Tina Tam, Deputy Zoning Administrator. 101 Spear Street is a multi-story, multi-use, which is primarily offices and retail, building in the C3O Downtown Office Special Development Zoning District. The portion of the property on the north end, the US Post Office, was designed by architect Gilbert S. Underwood and was constructed in 1939 in the streamlined modern style of architecture. Known commonly as Rincon Annex Post Office, the property is a designated city landmark, landmark number 107. It is also listed on the National Register of Historic Places. On May 25th, 2021, Missy Cantor of PMT Consultant filed four sign permits, ending with the numbers 1011, 1015, 1018, and 1021. 
These permits include the removal and replacement of existing wall signs, as well as the installation of new signs on the building. To orient the board, I'm gonna go ahead and provide a quick overview of the property and walk through each of the four permits. This is 101 Spear Street. The property is bounded by Mission Street to the north, Spear Street to the west, Stewart Street to the east, and Howard Street to the south. It occupies the entirety of lot 3716. The historic post office, Brincon Annex, is located on the north end of the property. That's shown in, in the blue hatched. Here's an aerial photograph looking north. In this photograph, you'll see a large development on the south end of the property. This development was constructed in 1989 and consists of residential, office, retail, and parking uses. As part of the same 1989 redevelopment project for the property, there was also a two-story addition as well as a major interior renovation and use conversion of the historic Rincon Annex Post Office. Can you zoom out just a bit? Sorry. Thank you. This is the um, ground floor plan of the property. Denoted in green and purple are the locations of the four permits in question. The permits in green are for the removal and replacement of the existing signs. They are on Steward, and they are on Mission. The permits um, in purple are for the installation of the new signs on the building. They are the two projecting signs at the corner on either side of Mission, and what they call a canopy sign on Steward. Now I'll walk you through each of the four permits. The first permit ends with the number 1011 is to remove and replace the existing non-historic wall signs near the building entrance on Spear Street. The existing condition is at the top and the proposed condition is at the bottom. The new sign is, will, be, um, will be at the same exact location as the existing, flanking the original main entrance to the post office. And as you heard from Ms. Sullivan, and as you can see in the photographs, the current sign says Rincon Center Shops and Restaurants, whereas the new sign will say Rincon Center. This means the overall size of the new sign will be smaller in area and will contain less letters. The 12 individual letters that spell Rincon Center will measure 20 inches in height. Um, they're aluminum in material, which is matching the size and material of the existing signs. The second permit ending with the numbers 1015 is to remove and replace four existing non-historic wall signs on Mission Street. Again, the existing condition is at the top and the proposed condition is at the bottom. 
The new sign will say Rincon Center and will include four wavy lines at the top of the letters as part of its design. The six individual letters that spell out Rincon will be about 16 inches tall, while the six individual letters that spell out center will be about seven inches tall. The individual letters are painted in dark gray and the wavy lines will be painted in dark blue. Both the aluminum material and colors are consistent with the original design motif of the dolphins and the waves that you see above the windows on this facade. The third permit ends with a number 1018 is to install two new double-sided projecting signs at both corners of Mission Street. The first photograph shows the corner of Mission and Spears. The new projecting signs will be about 60 inches tall, five feet or so, 30 inches wide, two and a half feet, and the sign cabinets will be aluminum and material painted in white and dark blue in color. Um, and the tenant name on the project sign has not yet been identified. Um, this means for us a new sign permit will be required to add the name of the tenant once the tenant has been identified and is ready to move in. I know this is slightly different from what Ms. Sullivan stated earlier, but that's what our approval is for. This the cabinet and the Rincon sort of logo and name. Once a tenant name is, is provided to us, a new permit will have to be submitted to the city. Just to, just to wrap things up, this is the other corner of Mission and Stewart. Again, the top is, is the existing condition and the bottom photograph shows the propose. And I, and the, I think it's being covered by the, the letter. Here we go. You can see the sign right here. The fourth and last permit ending with the numbers 1021 is to install a new tenant ID sign above an entrance on Stewart Street. The new canopy sign will include a six inch tall by a 180 inch wide, about 15 feet, wavy bar. Both the wavy canopy bar painted in dark gray and the tenant's name painted in white will be aluminum and material. As I mentioned about the double-sided projecting sign, once there's a tenant identified, a new sign permit will be required to add that tenant's name on top of the wavy canopy bar. The appellant is David Osgood. David believes that there are no, there should be no changes to the existing signs and no addition of any signs on the property. I understand that David has also expressed concerns about the two existing projecting signs on the property. These projecting signs he noted in his brief and presentations he's concerned with are 25 feet tall and five feet wide. They are located on the southern end of the Rincon Annex near the mid-block of the property along both Spears and Stewart Street. However, there is no proposal to alter or modify these two existing projecting signs, and as such, those two signs are not part of any permits before the board. 
As you heard from the project team, the proposed scope of work under these four permits complies with the planning code. Article 6 of the planning code outlines the regulations for signs. Based on the zoning district that the property is located in, C3O, there is no limit to the number of signs you can have on this property. And because the property is not within the vicinity of a school, park, or rec facility, or freeway, there's also no limit to the size of the sign. As such, the proposed signs under these four permits are nowhere remotely close to what would otherwise be allowed by the planning code. Because the property is, in fact, a designated city landmark, the proposed permit does comply, and needs to be, with Article 10 of the planning code. Section 1006.6 outlines the regulations for review for landmarks. The department believes the project proposed signs are appropriate, are consistent, and compatible with the character defining features of the landmark site. According to the designating ordinance, the character defining features for the Rincon Annex include the exterior, primarily the overall building envelope, scale and massing, the symmetrical design of the street facade, the smooth and clean wall finishes and surfaces and detailing, and the use of modern materials, such as aluminum and glass blocks. The proposed signs are in keeping with the character of the property and will not materially impair the landmark. The existing signs proposed for removal were installed in the late 1980s and early 1990s. They are not historic features. Thus, their removal will not damage, destroy, diminish, or negatively impact the character-defining features or the significance of the landmark. I understand from reading the letters under public comments that there is objection to any modification, sign removal, or new sign installation. Despite these sentiments, there is simply no restriction or prohibition for any sign modification, mod removal, or new sign installation. Planning staff reviewed and approved these four sign permits on the basis that the proposed scope complies with the planning code, specifically Article 6 and 10. It follows the Secretaries of the Interior Standards for Treatment of Historic Properties and is consistent with the Rincon Center Master Sign Program. No, no, no neighborhood notification is required and no hearing before the Historic Preservation Commission is needed. While signs are routinely reviewed and approved over-the-counter, signs on historic properties, like Rincon Annex, always require review and approval by a preservation technical specialist. All our, all our preservation technical specialists at the planning department have a great deal of education and work experience and training in the field of historic preservation. They also meet the preservation qualifications outlined by the Secretaries of the Interiors, which is a requirement by the State Office of Historic Preservation for San Francisco to be a CLG, a certified local government. In the case of these four permits, which were filed in 2021, our preservation technical specialists work closely with the project team on the development of a master sign program. This master sign program took close to a year to complete, and only after the program was approved by the department did the preservation planner sign off on the four permits in 2023. In conclusion, the planning department recommends to the board to deny the appeal and uphold the issuance of the four permit on the basis that the permits were properly issued. 
This concludes my presentation. I'm happy to answer any question. I also do want to note that I have the preservation technical specialist, Rebecca Salgado, via Zoom, to help answer any questions you may have. Thank you. We have questions from President Swig, Commissioner Lemberg, Commissioner Trisvenia, and Commissioner Epler. So why is there a historical preservation commission if, if you don't use them? I, I'm, I'm confused by that. We, again, you, you want to put a no, new facade on a, on a historic landmark building, uh, you got to go through those hoops. You want to change a, again, I mentioned a statue. You want to go to change a facade, a window facade on a historic uh, house that was built in 1847 that has landmark status. Why, why this very important landmark, this is not a small asset. Why, why do you skip, what, what, why, do we, why do we have a historical preservation commission? What do they do? If you just, uh, if not, I don't want to say that. If the planning department simply um, can skip over them. Well, I know that they meet every other week and they do have a full agenda. So, I, you know, I'm not sure how yeah, to what, answer your question, but what else they do, but they do, no, but they, this do is, they have this, this cases is, to this, review. This, is, like this is not changing plumbing on the inside of a historic building. This is not doing a minor thing. This is a facade. This is a thing that everybody sees. And this, for me, I don't understand. I'm confused. Maybe I'm naive. Uh, you, you know, uh, why on, on, uh, on primary signage, mm -hmm. That's going to be on multiple entrances, two of which we don't even know what what the heck they're going to look like, right? Because you're, uh, uh, I don't even know why these permits are in front of us. If you are telling us right now, you got to go get another permit for them in the first place. So, you know, are we going to be back here because Mr. Osgood doesn't like them? Um, but I don't understand that, all right? But the, the signs signs are important, right? They they communicate the historic nature of a, an historic building because it's all part of the project. What, why is this in front of this body without a, uh, without a certificate of appropriateness from Historic Preservation Commission? That's, I don't understand this. Okay. Be because once you start setting the precedent for one building, you know, let's go through every landmark building in town and just change the signs because somebody on planning staff says it's okay and does it without the body known as the Historic Preservation Committee, Commission, which is supposed to do all this, from my naive, only simple citizen point of view. Yes, thanks. That's a great question. Um, the only answer I have is um, twofold. First, um, there's a de delegation. Um, the commission trusts our staff. They trust these, their expertise, their experience, and they oftentimes take up the recommendation when there's a hearing to the point where like, they're saying, you know, there's a number of scopes of work that we're okay with you handling administratively. You don't need to go ahead and schedule these items, and it's only these types of items, and they outline the types of work that you, you know, we can do um, without going through a hearing process. Um, that was happening for quite some time. And then there's the amendment in 2018 that's spelled out in our code that says, signs do not require any entitlement and therefore does not require any hearing before the HPC. 
And so that's been codified. That's what we're looking at, and that's what we're basically implementing. Okay, when the neon shows up, I'll, I'll remind you of that statement. Um, I'm sorry, that's snarky. Uh, suffering from jet lag today. Um, so uh, the, the, the question that I had in the, the which I posed to the permit holder. Anybody look at the file? Yep. I, I, you know, what, what did the file say about signs and uh, what, is the ma what was the master sign plan in 1980 or whatever the, the, the year was when this permit was initially issued? Okay, um, I can start with the sign program in 2008, the more recent one, the most recent one that we have. There was a um, master sign package and program that was reviewed and approved in 2008. Um, and I'll go ahead and just put this up really quickly because I did that outline. Go Historic preservation had to ask it. Of course. It did go through. It the, did. It, it did, did go because it, be, yes, because but I was why before. Didn't this one go through because I was before the delegation and before the amendment made in 2018. Okay, all right. I have an expert. We have an expert in the back of the hall who's going to comment on that. Okay. Well, well let me go through the at least the sign program I was able to dig up, um, and it's it's not before the board, but it perhaps provide some context. Um, this is the 08 sign package and program that was reviewed and approved by the LPAB, which. This is the, the Landmarks Preservation Advisory Board. This is the board that predated the Historic Preservation Commission. And um, at that time, that program um, called out a number of new signs, which includes those 25-foot-tall projecting banner signs at both the location and the, um, the corner, the southern corner of the annex on both the spears in the steward, as well as, as the northern corner um, on mission um, at Spears and Stewart. Um, I believe only two were installed, um, and, and, I, and I believe um, Mr. Osgood um, is concerned with those the most. But this program, um, based upon what I can tell, allowed for signs that were bigger than the one we're looking at right now in 2023. 25 feet tall versus five feet, that's, that's, my, that's the comparison I'm seeing right off the bat. And the number, right? You have four here, four large signs that are 25 feet at all the corners of the annex. And so while we're not talking about the 25 foot signs today, um, you asked about the, the historic sort of or the history of the background of the sign programs for the property. This was done by Paige and Turnbull, a reputable consultant in historic preservation in 08. It was reviewed by technical specialists in 08. It was brought to the Landmarks Board in 08 and approved by the city. Just, just, just to provide you that context. Um, I do want to go ahead and make one other note. And, and, uh, and you didn't answer my question. Uh, was there a master sign program that was created in when the initial permit to, do, to when the initial building permit was done in 1980 something? Was, I, I, was there a, a sign program that that was done in the context of historical preservation that um, 
uh, that that was mandated through the life of the the building because I don't know I'm you're making the grand assumption that the 2008 action was done appropriately too um, but but I'm just I'm reading just what wondering. the file says okay I, this is the file this is saw the motion right. saw the saw the signature saw the date yeah. um, in terms of the 1980s that's a little bit harder for because that's information that we don't always have in our fingertips this is not a property that the city de planning department had had any purview over so I wasn't able to find a sign program from the 1980s but it doesn't mean it one did not exist in the 1980s okay. um, if you don't mind, I want to make one last comment. I, I know Mr. Osgood mentioned in his in his one of your questions earlier um, about information and communication from staff regarding the master sign program, and I think he answered in the negative where there where, where he didn't get any, and that's that's not true. We have records, email exchange between staff and Mr. Goodwill about the status of the of the of the sign permits and the review and the. Um, and the um, and the master sign program. So yeah, my concern on this just you know you know my I've been accused of my taste is all in my mouth, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be subject to uh, the the accusations made to Mr. Osgood because my I know where my taste is it's all in my mouth, so I don't have any problem one way or the other with how the signs look or whatever. What I am concerned with is is precedent setting, and what I am concerned with is that, and it has nothing to do with Hudson Pacific, they're, they're very reputable, they're very good at what they do, and et cetera, et cetera, all right? Just as I complimented the legal professional who did a wonderful job creating what she needed to do on their, their, uh, their brief. What I am concerned with is precedent setting so that, that's, that the, next, the next group that comes in to a landmark building and goes through the same process and and planning without the oversight of uh, historic preservation decides okay this signs this signs good too and changes the character of a historic structure and I'm wondering I, I would like this to go back through historic preservation so they can do their job okay then when it comes back I know I, I the, the, the wavy lines are beautiful the, there's no problem with the font it's the precedent the jump over without a, a certificate of, uh, sorry, I keep on missing, certificate of appropriateness uh, that, that really bothers me and sets a precedent for the future. And I think according to what I'm reading in, uh, for, which I got from the city, that this, I don't want to see, I don't want to set this precedent, that's all. And, and do you have any feedback on that? I'm here to present you the information. It's it's up to the you and the board to make that decision about the permits. Yeah, all right, I, I've said enough. I'm being too wordy. Um, Mr. Uh, Commissioner Lambert, please. Sorry. Thank you, Ms. Tam, for your extensive testimony and uh, research. I, I particularly want to thank you for going through each of the permits, which I um, often express and I, I think it's a very valuable thing for all of us uh, regardless of what the the subject of the day is um, I have a few things uh, first I want to challenge a little bit of your interpretations of things uh, that I heard you say um, the first one being that there are no limits to the number of signs that can go on a building but 
the, the challenge I want to make is that there are limits, and that's the limits laid forth in section 1006.6, which have all of these standards that I've already talked about extensively. And I don't think it's a good faith argument even that you could put 80 signs on the Rankin Annex Center and it would be acceptable by any standard. Is, is, am I off base there? No, I'm just simply talking about code compliance, and I felt like it was my responsibility to go ahead and at least mention what standards and code provisions that we look at in evaluating projects. And in, in this case of the signs, we always look at Article 6. Some districts have limitations about the size and the number, and others don't. And I felt like this is an important information that you need to know about because of the location, that, the zoning location that, is, that the property is in. Okay, thank you. And then the other the other part I wanted to challenge a little bit is that there's um, there's no restrictions on uh, I mean, essentially the entitlement process, but that again assumes that it complies with the very exacting standards of Section 1006.6, which is specifically laid out in the code. Um, and is, is it? Is it the planning department's position that complying with the standards of 1006.6 requires any sort of explicit written findings or anything like that? Very good question. And, and thankfully, we have Rebecca Salgado on the line. She was the um, technical specialist who worked on the master sign program, and she can give you more of a, an overview of how she arrived to her determination. Thank you. Hi there, uh, Rebecca Salgado, Planning Department staff. Um, so to answer your question, for this particular scope of work, a written determination of compliance with Section 1006.6 was not required. Uh, if the work did require uh, preservation entitlement either at the staff level or at the hearing level where with review by the HPC, then we would prepare um, the entitlement that evaluates in writing the project against the Secretary of the Interior Standards for Rehabilitation, um, which are the 10 points that um, Tara brought up earlier, uh, which do have a larger document associated with them as well from the National Park Service, but um, each of the 10 standards uh, is condensed into basically a sentence or two. Um, if it's helpful, I can share those standards, um, but this work was reviewed under the guidelines of 1006.6. And it was my determination in consultation with other members of the preservation team within the department that these signs did meet those um, the requirements of section 1006.6. So to, to dig in a little deeper then, um, essentially section, okay, if we're, if we're going back to section 1005, um, it, 1005 basically says, a certificate of appropriateness is required unless it falls under one of these exceptions. Um, and one of those exceptions, as uh, Ms. Sullivan brought up, is when the application is for a permit to install business signs or awnings as defined in 602 of this code to a landmark or district, which I, I think we all agree is, is what we're dealing with here. 
provided that signage, awnings, and transparency conform to the requirements outlined in section 1006.6. I, I don't see how we can come to a conclusion that we're all good with the compliance with 1006.6 if there's nothing in the record showing that it is apart from, I mean, I, I, I'm not saying you're unqualified to make a determination like that, but what I'm not seeing is an actual determination. And, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I, and I, this kind of goes back to a, a question I asked Ms. Sullivan earlier. Is there something in the record in planning department review that actually states that this comply, that this, these signs comply with 1006.6? Uh, yeah, I understand. Uh, I, I agree. It would be helpful, especially in light of this appeal being filed, to have a written statement that outlines point, point, point compliance with Section 1006.6. Um, however, for those items that don't require a preservation entitlement, um, there is no uh, there is no like written document that's provided that um that kind of outlines compliance so that review was done internally but there is no written document required under under the under the code I, that's where i think the disconnect is happening for me here because i i've heard miss sullivan say and i just heard you say that this project was automatically exempt from the requirements because it potentially falls under the exception under 1005E6. However, what I'm not seeing is any determination that it actually was exempted under 1005E6. Um, and it, it's just being treated as an underlying presumption, um, whereas this is actually an exception to a rule that says that every project is subject to uh, receiving a certificate of appropriateness unless it falls under one of these exceptions. And so what I'm seeing here is that this exception needs to be explicitly made or else what are, what are we supposed to go on here? I, 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 just, don't, I just don't see that. If, if, if the argument is it falls under this exception, we need something in the record showing us it, was, it falls under this exception. And I mean, I guess the, the something would be that it is signage and the code says that signage is exempted. But that's, um, not, but that's not what it says, respectfully. It says when there's signage being installed and the signage comply, conforms to the requirements outlined in section 1006.6. And that it's a two-part test as far as I'm concerned. It's not just signage. Signage is automatically exempted. It has to also comply with 1006.6. And you know the the argument that's being presented here kind of washes over all of that by the by the permit holder, and I'm I'm stuck because we have to make a decision on an appeal um, that, in, in my estimation, you know the the permit holder has the the responsibility to defend their position that it was that they complied with 1006.6 and I'm not seeing any evidence from the permit holder or from the planning department that that occurred other than your word on it which I appreciate but also I don't think is legally sufficient yeah I mean I guess we would 
there would have to be like a wide scale change to our procedures to provide that for everything that uh, is allowed under 1005E uh, to be approved without an entitlement for all of those scopes of work to have this uh, statement of compliance with 1006.6. .6. That's not something that we have right now where we check a box saying that it complies with 1006.6. .6. Um, Sorry to add, nor I don't think it's the intent of the amendment from from 2018, which is to streamline review review of these what we call minor scopes of work and delegate it, and trust the staff who's reviewing it to do their job in adhering to the standards because their background is in historic preservation. Uh, maybe because uh, I know I know the ten standards. I used to be a preservation manager for ten years. And not all the standards apply to this project because it's not changing the use, sure. it's not expanding. It, it, Rebecca, would it be possible for you to kind of walk through for the for the purposes of kind of um, the, the commissioners, um, your thought process in, in coming up with a determination that the project complies with the standards, but, which is. And before, before you do that, I just want to call out specifically in what section 1006B states which is that the proposed work shall comply with the Secretary of the Interior's standards for the treatment of historic properties for individual landmarks. And when I Googled that phrase, that exact phrase, what came up was the 172-page uh, document from the National Park Service that um, includes several, I mean, I'm looking at pages, uh, starting on page 156 of that document. Uh, it has, a significant list of things that are recommended and not recommended. Why are those parts of this document not relevant here? We're not saying it's not relevant, for, but when we do written analysis, in this case we didn't do one because we weren't required to do one under the amendment. Um, when we do do one, when it's required, we go through the 10 standards. We outline a response to each and every single one of the 10 standards under the Secretaries of the Interior Standards to arrive to our determination of yes, it complies, or no, it does not comply. I, I, mean, I, would... I, I mean, I understand the, the, uh, the text behind the, the standards are heavy and thick, but we go back to the standards, the 10 standards, every single time. I understand that that may be department practice, but that's not what the code, the planning code specifically states. I mean, unless I'm wrong somehow here, but I, I don't think I am. I, I just see all of these recommendations and I can see several different ways in which, at least potentially, and I'm again, I'm an, an enthusiast in historic preservation, not an expert, but I can see several different ways in which these specific signs don't comply with these recommendations. Um, and very specifically, um, the blade signs under permit 1018 I think very clearly don't even comply with the landmarking ordinance that was done for this specific property. Um, and I, I just, I, I see the permit holders and planning kind of just glossing over all of this and saying, this is the way we do it, this is the way it's done, but not really addressing what the code actually says and what the code actually requires the planning department to do. Um, and I'm not saying you're not doing your jobs well, I'm just saying that I think the procedures that the 
department has established for itself may not actually be fulfilling its, du its duties and requirements. I don't know what the question was there, but. Um, <laughs> what do you think about that? What do you think about that? <laughs> Thanks, Rick. <laughs> Oh, um, I, no. I'm not sure I'd fully agree with you. I understand you, you, you are expecting a lot more in terms of a written determination. Um, we're simply saying one wasn't required. It doesn't mean that we didn't review it per the, per the lenses of the standard. It didn't mean that we didn't look at it and was concerned about the features of the building and whether there's going to be damage or impairment. We're looking at all that. Through the, through the review, a year-long review of the master um, sign program. And I, I trust my staff, I trust Rebecca. Um, she has extensive educational and, and training in historic preservation. Um, I, I'm not so sure that going to the HBC will, I, I'm just not sure, I don't know. It's, it's really uh, something that you guys have to decide on. I, just based upon my review of the 2008 sign program and seeing how, how, how other large size projecting signs were approved, I'm beginning to wonder. One more very specific question relating to the, uh, the 1980 ordinance that landmarked this. Um, the statement of significance states in relevant part, um, sorry, I lost it. Uh, doo -doo -doo -doo. Okay, are merged with the then modernist design principles that required smooth, clean, machine-like surfaces and detailing of, uh, and the use of modern materials, aluminum, glass block, special concealed or reflective lighting. Going back to those blade signs in permit 1018, how do those signs comply with that description that is required under the landmark ordinance? Let's try to see whether Rebecca yeah. has a response yeah. first. Um, yeah, I can I can speak to that. I mean, basically, with the review of this sign program, uh, a big part of what I was looking for in compliance with the Secretary of the Interior standards was: Does the signage allow the this uh, significant significant individual landmark to still? Um, convey its character-defining features? Does the signage not significantly detract from those character-defining features or obscure them or damage them? Uh, it was my determination in consultation with other members of the preservation team that having a two five-foot tall by three-foot wide blade signs uh, on either end of a facade that I believe is 275 feet wide would not be considered a significant detraction from the building as a whole, from the, that Mission Street facade, uh, that it would be reversible, it could be removed in the future without um, causing, uh, causing damage to the building that couldn't be repaired. Um, so, you know, that's a matter, it, it is somewhat subjective. Um, someone can make the argument that any any blade sign installed on the building uh, would would significantly detract from the architecture of the building from its character defining features. 
that was not the department's determination due to the kind of the the features of this building specifically um, you know we review signage on a historic building on a case-by-case -case basis if this were a building that had a highly um, decorative facade a much smaller facade um, then we would treat the project um, and the signage allowed there differently um, Thank you. Okay, thank you. We have a question from Commissioner Trasvina and Commissioner Epler. Thank you. Um, Your microphone, please. Th thank you. I have some concerns and questions, but I think getting to the bottom line, I would prefer that we give the city, give our questions, all of which are good questions, uh, to our deputy city attorney for a response at, uh, at a later meeting. Because we're getting into areas where we're trying to parse together federal regulations, uh, your practices, uh, the uh, legislation passed by the Board of Supervisors and signed by the mayor. I think we've got a number of inconsistencies um, and, but I'm not, I'm not sure whether the we, whether we should at this point conclude that just because the uh, historic preservation committee didn't commission didn't handle this that the analysis wasn't made or that it was made less well. Uh, the, it's it's been it's been just described as this is, it, we don't want to set a precedent. So my question is going to be. To, to, to you, uh, Ms. Tam, is, is this precedent setting? My larger questions are whether uh, this permit holder, having met what appears to be the requirements laid out by the city, having met them, having this had the expertise of Ms. Salgado and, and the team of the planning department, whether we should then come in and say, well, we don't think the process is right, therefore this permit should go down. Uh, so, uh, but all of those things are premature to getting some questions answered from the city attorney about the role of, of historic preservation department, uh, whether a written determination is, is necessary rather than a determination, uh, rather a determination based on the expertise of your staff. So my question to you is, is this, is this precedent setting using uh, your staff rather than the rather than the historic preservation commission thank you for the question if i if i understand that correctly you're asking whether whether we start preparing written determination for all of our signs um or just this one and if it's just this one would that be a a precedent for us to do well, all the other ones? Well, my, my question is more narrow, and that is if we approve this permit without the involvement of the Historic Preservation Commission, would that be setting a precedent? And then second, as long as you brought it up, what would what would it take for your department experts to 
produce written determinations on every sign, historic sign uh, application. Thank you for clarification. Um, I think the answer to your first part of your question is no, because we haven't been doing the written determination since the ordinance was adopted in 2018. It's been five years that I know of that we're writing written determinations for signs per, per compliance with the Secretaries of the Interior Standards. So it wouldn't, if you approve these permits today, we're not going to be like charting new territory here. Um, the second question, I'm not sure I can answer. I'm not sure I'm in the position to, to, to answer that. I don't set the sort of the, the work policies in the department. Um, we can certainly consult with the, the management in the department to see whether there's, a, there's an interest um, and need to start preparing determination, whether it's for certain types of projects or for all sorts of projects, even if it's technically exempt from from, from the entitlement okay. process that's outlined in 1005. Okay, well, my, again, the intention of my question is to get the issues out there and to really to take, take your department, take the time, city attorney's office, take the time to address them from various perspectives. Uh, back in Washington, when there were pr people trying to come up with legislative intent, people would say, it's great. The people here who pass the thing are actually here in the room, so you can ask. And I think it'd be useful for the for the city attorney's office to get the relevant input from the supervisors who still may be here, uh, who who wrote this or who voted for this. I think it passed eleven to nothing, to get their input as to really what was intended, and, and that and that would give then give us an an educated, knowledgeable, respectful body of knowledge uh, to make a decision on this permit. I, I, I am, but I just wanted to say that would be my intention once we get to uh, the disposition of the matter. Commissioner right. Fuller. Um, thank you. So I'm going to rewind a little bit with my line of uh, questioning to uh, a point that uh, Commissioner Lemberg made about the limitations for historic signage, uh, even in the zoning district in which this building is in, and those are, are based around Article 10. My question is. When we do the Article 10 analysis, it's not on necessarily on any individual sign. It's on the signage plan itself. Is that is that accurate? I mean, as a first basis, the signage plan, the signage program, the master signage program, there's an Article 10 analysis uh, done on it, right? I'm going to call up Ms. Salgado to answer that question. Maybe perhaps repeat that question. So she can hear it again? Sure. Um, in the first instance, uh, the review for historical consistency is done on the master signage program itself, right? Correct. All the signs, I mean, all of the signs in the sign program in are, are considered together. Okay. And then as each sign then comes up for, for um, permit, we then have the opportunity to assess whether that individual sign is consistent with the master signage program and, and determine that it it's, may not be consistent with either it or with Article 10. Would that be, would that be fair? Correct. Yeah, and a, a big 
purpose of having a signed program to begin with is to have someone take a look at the building as a whole uh, with some purpose to determine what amount of signage is appropriate rather than having a planner who has no prior familiarity with the property trying to make that assessment uh, at the permit center. Um, yeah, so the, the sign program is intended to kind of set parameters for all the number, placement, material, um, size of all future signage. And then if, if something doesn't align with that sign program, then you would have to uh, go back and either reconsider the sign program or else um, not approve that sign. And when a permit is pulled for an individual sign within the MSP, do you review it again for Article 10 consistency or do you simply review it against the sign program or do you review it for consistency at all with either of those two? Um, what, what typically happens is once the sign program is finalized and put on our property information map, uh, then the, the preservation planner who's working at the permit center, which is our over-the-counter um, center, uh, will review it against the sign program with the assumption that the sign program has already been reviewed uh, for compliance with 1006.6. .6. So they would not do a secondary review under 1006.6. And, and so then with respect to the public and their ability to weigh in on a signed program and or the determination made in, made on a signed program, really the first time they have the opportunity to have any real weight is with respect to any permit pulled under the signed program, right? Yeah, that, that's correct. Um, any any of those scopes of work that 1005 um, says can be um, approved over the counter, you know, there's no noticing requirements. There's no review by the Historic Preservation uh, Commission required. So um, the the only way a member of the public would know about them is if they see the work happening or they happen to be reviewing the, our property information map and looking at what permits were pulled. Um, but that's just part of, you know, it's, it's not a requirement for those scopes of work to have any sort of public notice. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, slightly different line. Um, let's say I'm trying to think through um, consequences and repercussions of decisions that we may make on both sides of the coin. And if we were to uphold the appeal, whether it was with respect to a single permit or to all the permits, and if we were to say even, you know, perhaps that the entire MSP does not comply, um, what what would happen next? I'm, let me outline what, what thinks my mind. Let me see if this, this is accurate. So the, the sponsor could start back with a new MSP. That new MSP process would go directly to planning for approval, right? Because it is not required to go to the planning commission under the 2018 amendment. So they would go directly to the department for reassess, for that new program would go to the department for assessment. Is that correct? That's correct under our current processes and what's uh, kind of outlined in the code. Okay. And then you would conduct your review, and there's currently no requirement for you to issue any sort of written product showing how the uh, MSP complies with the Article 10 standards. Is that is that correct? That's correct. Okay. And then 
that would happen if we know it's happening. Maybe someone would be involved in the process, but if no one knew that it was happening, that that would happen internally, and then we wouldn't have a chance to look at that again until a permit is pulled to put signage on the property. Is that correct? Yeah, under under our current processes, that's correct. Okay, and so and that could very well lead us to being in exactly the same position that we are in right now. Okay, that's all my questions. Thank you. City attorney would like to make a comment, please. Yeah, I thought it might be productive to make a couple comments about the ordinance at issue that we've been discussing in 2018, as well as what the code provides and the role of the historical planning commission. Um, Article 10 deals with preservation of historical architecture and aesthetic landmarks. Uh, and section 1005E6 uh, is very clear. It allows administrative review for signs and awnings, provided that the signage conforms to section 1006.6. So that particular provision, E6, was added in 2018. It was a unanimous, passed unanimously with the Board of Supervisors. Um, the ordinance was 17918, and what that ordinance cited was a housing crisis, was that neighborhood notification was too time-consuming, took up too many resources, and so there were certain provisions that under that ordinance or certain um, planning processes, permits, that they exempted from historical preservation review. Um, and one of those was, of course, these signs. Um, and so I do not believe under that ordinance, um, and the ordinance is the best evidence of the legislative intent. Um, we don't need to speak to the supervisors. What we have is an ordinance that we, we take it for what it means, and we have findings that provide some context, and we have the language of the ordinance. And what the ordinance says is that there can be administrative review by the planning department for signs and awnings, provided that the signage conforms to section 1006.6. Now when this appeal comes before this board, under this board's role, under the charter, it has two options. It can either concur in the action of the planning department or, or it can overrule the action of the planning department. The other option is the board could say it doesn't have sufficient information, it, it could postpone this, we've already heard there are no written findings, so I, you know, that's up to the board as to whether that would be productive. Um, but there's been questions about a referral to the HPC. I, I don't think the code would permit that. The code very explicitly exempts a sign from that type of process. And so the, the role of this board is to determine whether the planning department's action was appropriate or not. Um, uh, let me ask you a question on that, and this was confusing to me. I hear noise coming from somewhere, and it's getting to be bothersome. Somebody's talking, or is, is it outside, or I where's it coming from? I think it's possibly the police commission. A lot of people are protesting the skateboard issue. All right, so I, mean, I just hear people wanna, outside. Do you want Alec to go check? Alec, can you go check? Yeah. Um, so that's what, y y as you were just saying, this was done in the context of a housing crisis, right? Uh, this was done in the context of a housing crisis so that the, uh, I'll use the word, so the plow would be sped so that housing, could, that implies, infers, uh, makes one assume 
that it was done because we don't want to stop housing from happening. And this is where the disconnect was happening for me here. This is an old post office that is commercial use only, and it's a preservation landmark building. What the hell does it have to do with housing and speeding the plow on developing more housing? And, and, and that we, it, I keep on looking in the back of the room to a very patient president of the Board of Supervisors who I will ask uh, Ms. Rosenberg to have speak first because he's been waiting for three hours, uh, who was actually involved in legislation. So we don't have to speculate anymore. But that was my, my, my confusion is that it, this was citing something that had to do with a housing crisis. And this has nothing to do with a housing crisis. This is about signs on an old post office that is, is landmarked by the city and the feds. And what does that have to do with housing? Zero. So uh, that's, that's why when, we'll, we'll let the person who actually voted, one of those unanimous persons, we'll let him talk about it probably in, in public comment. What, what, the re what the ordinance speaks to is the resources of the department that, that was involved and the resources that it requires to go through public notification and all of the categories that, that then existed that required public notification. And so to your question as to how they relate, I think there was a determination made that there was a department that was overwhelmed and to simplify and streamline some of those procedures. There's very explicit language in the ordinance, which we see now codified in 1006E. Um, and, and, and what that says is, when the application is for a permit to install business signs or awnings, as defined in section 602, which basically defines signs I, I of this code to a landmark or district, provided that signage, awnings, and transparency conform to the requirements outlined in section 1006.6. Okay, says what it says. Thank you for that. Uh, can we have the rebuttal now? Well, we, we still need to hear from the Department of Building PBI. Inspection if they want to weigh in. <laughs> you. Mr. Green might get smart and keep it tight. Um. Uh, Matthew Green, representing DVI again. Uh, I don't have much to say, but there was a comment about the uh, the uh, the attachments and the amount that was embedded into the concrete. I would just say, uh, after discussion with engineers, um, it should be a minimum one inch and up to four inches, so it's well within the range there. And it, the the attachments were designed by a civil engineer and approved by one of our DVI engineers. I'm available for any questions you might have. Oh. Okay, thank you. Did you have anything further? Or? Okay, uh, we are now moving on to public comment. If you're here to provide public comment, uh, please approach the microphone. You're the president. <laughs> so, yes. Then we should just continue through all of public comment then. Okay, so. <laughs> Thank you, President Swig, uh, Board of Appeals members, Trasvinia Lemberg. First of all, thank you very much for being here uh, as President of the Board of Supervisors. Th uh, thank you very much for taking the concern, interest in this case, and sticking around for three hours 
to, to make this public comment. We deeply appreciate your participation. Thank you, President Swig and commissioners. My name is Aaron Peskin. Uh, in 2008, I authored Proposition J, uh, which is now ensconced as Section 4.135 of the Charter that created the Historic Preservation Commission and subsequently authored the updates to the two relevant provisions of the San Francisco Planning Code to conform them with said Charter Amendment Articles 10 and 11 of the Code. Um, as discussed, I am also one of the 11 members of the board who in 2018 voted for the A4 mentioned ordinance number 179-whatever uh, the deputy city attorney said. And let me be uh, very clear, uh, this is to my mind precedential. Uh, and uh, the reason I am here transcends the instant case uh, and I just want to start, say at the outset that I really appreciate the very thorough deliberations and line of questioning. I think you have gotten down to the issues. Uh, the 2018 ordinance that I voted for, uh, first of all, all of the findings are about streamlining of 100% affordable housing. The changes to Article 10 and Article 11, as President Swig correctly pointed out, uh, have nothing to do with the streamlining of residential affordable housing construction in San Francisco. Those were add-ons. Uh, those were discussed very uh, uh, at a very detailed level between my office, myself, uh, and uh, the planning department, and were predicated on their actions being subject to the existing code provisions set forth in Article 10 at 10.00.6. And what I've heard here today is really quite troubling. What I've heard here today is that the way the planning department, who I believe has erred in this matter, has taken that is that they have read it as an exemption, plain and simple. That is not what was intended, that is not what I voted for, and that is not the way this should be treated. Whether or not they make written findings, interesting process and procedural question, appreciate the line of questioning, Commissioner Lemberg. Um, the issue here is that the MSP in 2021 really should have been brought before the Historic Preservation Commission for a public vetting where you would have gotten letters from experts that appear in the file before you. Christina Madrid French on the letterhead of San Francisco Architectural Heritage is a qualified expert formerly from the California Preservation Foundation. Uh, I rest my case there, but I think that you should grant the appeal. I think that the planning department needs to treat this very, very differently and needs to take a master plan like this before the Historic Preservation Commission, which is the expert body on this matter where it can be publicly vetted. It was never meant to be a de facto blanket exception. Thank you, commissioners, for the time and for your very careful and thoughtful deliberations. Thank you. Thank you again, uh, Supervisor, for spending the time and waiting for this very valuable um, communication for us. We appreciate it very much. Let's continue. Thank you. So did you want to take a bio break? I mean, that should be priority, but, or do you want to finish public comment? Okay. Okay. 
Uh, if you would like to provide public comment, please raise your hand. I see one phone number ending in 5936. Please go ahead. You need to unmute yourself. Please press star six. Okay, go ahead. I mean, Boken, speaks as the Parkside Education and Action Committee, strongly supporting each of the appeals and a potential continuance. Um, the planning department has failed to document this decision, really? Nothing in writing? Uh, speak urges the board to require the planning department to produce a written document. Regarding the deputy zoning administrator's statement, this is not about trust. This is about transparency. Uh, speak would uh, concur with uh, board president Peskin that this should be uh, the Board of Appeals should require that this uh, there be a hearing by the Historic Preservation Commission. These signs could potentially make Rankin Annex appear like a caricature of a landmark. Thank you. Okay, thank you. We will now hear from Mari Eliza. Please go ahead. Okay. Um, I'm going to associate my comments with those of the former uh, public speakers. And I want to uh, also acknowledge that Coalition for San Francisco Neighborhoods has uh, sent in a resolution uh, supporting this appeal. So I believe that's all I need to say. But thank you very much for taking this seriously. We definitely need to provide some support for some of what's left of our historic buildings. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any further public comment? Please raise your hand. I see some member, some people in the queue, but no hands are raised. So I'm assuming that there's no public comment. So why don't we take a five minute break and then we'll move on to rebuttal, President Swick? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. SFGov TV, San Francisco Government Television.
Okay, welcome back to the July 12th, 2023 meeting of the San Francisco Board of Appeals. We are on items 4A through 4D, and we're moving on to rebuttal. So we will hear from the appellant. Mr. Osgood, you have 12 minutes in rebuttal. And you're muted. Thank you very much. Good to be back with you. Um, yeah, I think this matter does need to be continued at the very least. I mean, the process seems about as uh, murky as Donald Trump's business records. Um, and, you know, it, it, it does seem pretty flimsy. Um, I was looking at the uh, some of the memos between planning staff and uh, the permit holder and it you know, the final approval seemed to amount to not much more than two sentences saying, hi, Tara, I've reviewed the updated sign program and sent it along to our IT team to uphold to PIM, as I have no further comments. The PIM link should show up under the zoning tab for the property later tonight or early tomorrow, thanks. Well, that's, there's your approval. Um, seems pretty informal. I think you need to continue it, um, frankly, because I, I don't think you know what you're voting on. And it's not your fault, the uh, information you've been given. And I, I pointed to some of these. Um, we don't know, I don't know what the size of those blade signs are. I, I tried to show you the... Um, sign plan where there's two different sizes uh, right next to each other. Uh, so I, I have no idea which one is correct. And the process seems to be all hinging on what that sign plan 
says, which is way, way too dependent on this document prepared by the um, building owner. Um, you know, if it's in the sign plan, well, it goes, seems to be the uh, process. But um, it's also not clear, it's con actually conflicting on whether those blade signs are lit or not. In one place, and I'm happy to share the documentation, it, it calls them non-illuminated. In some place else, it says lit, which is, so we need to iron out these things. Um, the missing engineering documents, remember I told you I knew how many bolts were in there because it was in the original sign plan and then they seemed to mysteriously disappear in the ones provided to you. So that's kind of insulting to you folks, I, I think. And nobody's answered the question about comps, I'll call it. Um, show me another building, any building, anywhere in town that has this many signs on it. I mean, what is the deal? And those, we showed you several historic buildings that, that don't have any. And so that gets to the issue of precedent. You know, the, the Bar Association is in the old uh, Federal Reserve Building and with a law firm and others. You know, what if they want a, a huge blade sign now? Um, which reminds me, nobody's addressed how these 25-foot blade signs were approved. Apparently, they're okay. I mean, that's outrageous. And, you know, this isn't my opinion, really. I mean, you, you know that. Um, it's not my taste or anything like that. In fact, I, I keep hearing that, you know, it's, it's about what I like or, or don't like. I've actually, I don't think I've ever commented on the style or shape or the, the signs, anything like that at all. They're just simply inappropriate for a historic building like, like this. Uh, pretty disconcerting getting back to the bolts, which I think you guys are getting, giving kind of short shrift. That's a safety issue. I mean, I go through that building. Um, and apparently DBI is now saying, if I understood him correctly, those bolts can go in four inches. Did, didn't he say that? Um, tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, They've, you know, the, the permit holders are, are definitely giving, um, ignoring section 1006.6, but I guess you don't need me to um, tell you that after the board of, uh, president of the board. Um, as far as the need, I just, you know, I see this place every day. I can't help but point out, they say they need the signs, the customers need them, et cetera. This food court, and I know some of you have been there, was packed at, at lunchtime for 30 years. You couldn't get a, a seat. Um, I would go there every week and go to Soma Chicken. I had to wait in line. The place was packed. So what happened? Well, that started to deteriorate before COVID. 
and I mentioned bad management up front, they started their misguided remodeling. They kicked out two or three very successful food businesses, the Korean place and the uh, taqueria, just to expand for this remodeling. I mean, who does that? What business people do that? They destroyed the unique five-story rain column. They jackhammered the uh, beautiful marble floors that were perfect, withstood 30 years, and they ripped out the uh, wood paneling. I mean, this was one of the most beautiful um, food courts in the country. And that, that water column was, I've read there was no other like it in the country. And they painted over the, Mr. Haas's murals. I mean, who does this stuff? So they started kicking out people before, before COVID hit, and um, that was a problem. Um, Mr. Swig asked about the sign plan before. I don't have a good understanding of it, but there was an owner participation agreement, and all that got lost in when it went to under the domain of OCII and then um, to the planning department. And there's, there's people who have very strong feelings about that. But the point is, I guess, is that when it went to planning, everything went to hell. <laughs> um, that's when things started to uh, deteriorate. Um, I've got one more thing I want to share with you to keep things in perspective. It is a hidden history right in front of our eyes. The buildings, artworks, and so much more created all over the country during the New Deal of the 1930s and 40s. To bring that hidden history to light, there is an online archive documenting those sites across the country. Jeffrey Brown has more for our arts and culture series, Canvas. This was one of the great bridges of its time, it still is. The Bay Bridge, an eight-mile-long connector between San Francisco and Oakland, first completed in 1936, and now carrying an average of some three and a half million vehicles a month. To Gray Brecken, a historical geographer, it's also a symbol of a big idea. Well, what this bridge represents to me is actually what could be done 80 years ago during the depths of the Great Depression to get out of it. Big projects like Treasure Island, built into the San Francisco Bay, LaGuardia Airport, the Hoover Dam, parts of Yellowstone National Park, and smaller ones, libraries, courthouses, even sidewalks and gutters. All around the country, hundreds of thousands of works dating from the height of the Great Depression. From the many federal programs, such as the Works Progress Administration, or WPA, and Public Works Administration, or PWA, that were part of President Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal. In 2005, Brecken created what he called the Living New Deal, an online archive documenting projects throughout the country. What we're trying to do is, as geographers is um, to teach people a kind of landscape literacy. We're trying to reveal an invisible landscape 
that's all around us and absolutely indispensable that was created by my parents' generation, but we don't see it. One better known New Deal legacy artworks, including thousands of murals, like those at Rincon Annex Post Office in downtown San Francisco. Started in 1941 by the Russian-born painter Anton Refregier. 27 panels in all, one artist's version of the history of California from the Spanish conquest through World War II. They've faced various threats over the years, including real estate development in one of the most expensive cities in the world. Rincon Annex was put on the National Register of Historic Places in 1979 and has been preserved ever since. I'm interested in the ethics behind it. What do you mean by the ethics? Well, the ethics were collective. They were about creating a real civilization, a society in which everybody played a role. You know, that's what democracy is all about. The Living New Deal, run by a small staff and volunteers, has created a digital database documenting more than 17,000 sites to date, including more than 100 in each state. There's no record, official record, of what the New Deal agencies did, and so we're the first ones doing that. Richard Walker, also a geographer, is Ray Brecken's professor at UC Berkeley and is now director of the Living New Deal. So you can just drive around and sort of see signs of the new. Thank you. You have 40 seconds if you want to. Yeah, um, just I can't get rid of this off my screen. I don't know. Oh, yeah, it looks like you're, you see me now. So there, there is, this was just, this was shown just last winter. And, um, you know, just want you to know there's also national attention on this building and, and what you're doing. So um, I hope you'll continue this. I hope you'll get the process back on track and um, do the right thing that, that people want. Thank you for your time, everyone. Okay, thank you. We will now hear from the permit holder. Good evening, uh, Commissioners Tara Sullivan from Ruben Junis and Rose here for Hudson Pacific Properties. Um, I'm not gonna speak long, I just wanna say that um, Overturning these permits would be precedent setting. The city has been approving signs administratively since 2018 without findings. I've worked on many of them with the planning department staff. I have many clients that have done master plan programs and individual signs all without the, the explicit written findings. They all meet the planning code requirements. They all do adhere to the Secretary of the Interior standards and have been found not to have an adverse impact on the historic landmark. Um, these signs were found by Rebecca, a planning tech preservation technical specialist to meet the secretary's standards. Um, she did speak to that. And you know, the city attorney correctly clarified the intent of the Board of, the board of Supervisors legislation from 2018 and what can and cannot happen here. The administrative review, um, Hudson Pacific is being penalized for following the procedures and laws that many other property owners have been doing since 2018. Um, we respectfully ask that you not overturn these permits. Um, I do want to note that the emission of engineering drawings was not an intentional emission. It was, uh, I, th I think it was just accidentally left out of the larger packet that we sent to you. Um, 
And finally, not finally, Mr. Osgood says that the building has too much signage. He's saying that this building is cluttered with signage and that we should, you should not approve all these signs. I want to note that all the signs are pretty much existing, that there are two new signs that are being proposed in this package. All the other signs, if, if these permits were overturned, the building would still have the same amount of signage, minus two. So um, there would still be a lot of signs on this property, according to him. We also don't believe that this is a significant amount of signage given the size of the property and the length of the building frontage on both blocks. Um, lastly, I do want to just reiterate that Hudson Pacific is a good steward of landmark buildings. They bought this property knowing it was an individual landmark in 2010. They take pride in the historic lobby and murals. They take pride in the exterior art modern building. Um, they approach the signage here knowing it was a landmark and trying to do the right thing by the landmark. So we do respectfully ask that you uphold these permits. Thank you. Thank you. We have a question from President Swig. So we got two real smart people coming from two different directions. You being one of the smart people and the president of the board of supervisors. He's a pretty smart guy. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think he's a I've never met anybody who knows the city charter. I agree with you. He's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. All right. And I'm a mayoral appointee. He didn't, he has nothing to do with pointing me to this. So, you know, it's not a conflict of interest. Um, you use the word sets a precedent. He used the word sets a precedent. I happen to agree, as I've, I said earlier, I'm worried about setting a precedent and you know it reminds me of that you know that's that reminds me of marina boulevard where i live by the way where the speed limit's 25 miles an hour and i want to tell you about 90 percent of the cars that go by there my house go at about 35 to 45 miles an hour and that has set a precedent mm -hmm. it's illegal so how do you justify, and it may be, <clears throat> and with respect to the city, city attorney, she gave her opinion, and with respect to the President of the Board of Supervisors, he created the legislation, argued the legislation, voted for the legislation, and I think contradicted the city attorney's position respectfully. So how would you help us argue the, the issue of precedent is the, just because everybody goes 35 miles an hour to 45 miles an hour on Marina Boulevard, does that make it legal and does that set a legal precedent? Or should the traffic uh, motorcycle cops who used to be on Marina Boulevard when we had enough cops to uphold the law still be out there ticketing people for going 35 or 45 miles an hour Therefore, setting the precedent, which is the law. Help me with this argument here, because just because m my feeling is that just because everything you say, I'm not going to argue with you. You're right. You're smart. You know, you did a great brief. Your argument's correct. Lots of you've done a lot of things and gotten a lot of things, and you say, well, we've set the precedent. I think you're going 35 miles an hour in a 25 zone, but I, I'd like you to comment on precedence mm -hmm. and why we should get the precedent back to where it might 
exist, should, should exist. Thank you, President Swig. I think that, I, with all due respect to President Peskin, who I've worked with when I worked at the city, I, I, I agree with you, he's very knowledgeable on city processes. Um, I think that here, multiple parties, multiple agencies have looked at this legislation and read it the same way. This is not two people, one person looking at it and saying, we're going 35 miles an hour in a 25. It is multiple people, you know, when you go to law school, you, start, you take classes on how to interpret legislation. Um, obviously, you look at the plain language of the legislation itself first. You go into the record, uh, and then, um, you know, you kind of keep digging further and further down. I think here, the plain language of the legislation delegates authority to the city staff to approve signs without permits. I mean, excuse me, approve signs without uh, a certificate of appropriateness if it meets certain requirements. Um, I think that planning department staff has widely interpreted it that way. I know that I had asked staff to consult with the zoning administrator to go through this code section and the legislation to see if there were any errors and omissions. He's not here, I'm not gonna speak for him, but he did seemingly agree. The city attorney has also read this legislation and code and agrees. I don't, you know, it's hard to take, it, that piece of legislation was big, but it did include this piece of code and it did allow for this to happen. It did since 2018. It's not, you're not setting, the precedent has been set in that everyone from the minute this legislation has been enacted and effective has been approving signs on landmark buildings administratively without a certificate of appropriateness because they think this is the way it is written in the law. Um, I need some information from you. Yes. You just said, They've been approving signage on landmark buildings. Can you give me an apples to apples? That means red apple to red apple. I mean, uh, I exa have... Example, let me finish, please. Can you Shop give time. me... Uh, you, ju you just said it, that you've been getting approvals, uh, and planning's been getting approval on landmark buildings for signage, and that would... I would c capture that implication as like buildings. Can you please cite landmark buildings where s signage has been approved in the way that you're asking for for this landmark building? Sure, I can think of one that we went through uh, the process with staff within the past year. Um, it's at 685 Market Street. It is a, also a large, it's not an art modern building. I can't give you an example of another like for like building. But is this it is, a San Francisco? Uh, it is an, a category one significant building under article 11, which is akin to an individual landmark uh, under article 10. Um, they have multiple storefronts and multiple tenants uh, at this, uh, that go along Market Street, down Annie Alley. It is quite a significantly big building and a significant building in the city. Um, I, they approved, administratively approved uh, storefronts through an administrative certificate of appropriateness, but we've also received sign approvals through preservation review, but without an administrative certificate of appropriateness. That's the one I, I can think of off the top of my head. And was preservation, uh, was the preservation, sorry, was historic, uh, the, hem, le, 
okay, brain, get, get functioning again. Was Historic Preservation Commission involved in any of these activities? The commission, no, because as uh, Ms. Tam has said, um, as I've said, signs have been long delegated to staff for review. Uh, preservation staff has, since 2018, the ability to do this without an entitlement. So the, the commission itself, no, they have not done sign review in many, many years uh, since I've been doing this, many, many years, since I would say at least 10 plus before 2018. They've been delegating this to staff. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. We will now hear from the planning department. Thank you very much. Once again, Tina Tam for the Planning Department. Commission, I wanna say thank you um, for all the questions. I really appreciate it. Um, it is very helpful for us um, to hear so that we as planners can do a better job. However, I can't help but to go back on what our city attorney, Jenny Hubert, said about the exact written language in the 2018 amendment. Um, to reiterate what I said earlier, we did spend a year-long process reviewing and working with the project team on the MSP, the master plan, master assigned plan, um, to ensure that it complies with section 1006.6. The um, 2018 amendment did not state that a written determination is needed. Um, as I expressed earlier, a written determination would be contrary to the making the sign permits and OTC review, which is what the 2018 legislation was written and adopted to do. Planning stands behind the review and approval of these four permits. We follow the process laid out in the code. We have the appropriate and required planning staff, technical specialists in preservation, assigned to work on the program and the permits. And Rebecca and myself walked you through, even though it's at a very high level, um, as to why we believe the proposed signs comply with the Secretaries of the Interior Standards. The Planning Department did not make any errors in the review and processing and approving these permits. And I respectfully ask you to acknowledge the attorney's remark that no entitlement and no hearing before the HBC is required per the 2018 amendment. Should there be an interest in changing that, and it sounds like there may be, then that change can take place through a legislative process. And we would be open to having more discussion with either the board or to, to HBC, with the HBC. That concludes my presentation. Thank you. We have questions from President Swig and Commissioner Trisvenia. Going to go down the same path I just did with the permit holder. Uh, with one different wrinkle. You heard from the President of the Board of Supervisors who created the legislation, who argued the legislation, and who voted for the legislation that the, pla the, the planning department aired. That's a direct quote. All right? And, and that's hard, you know, that's... I don't want to bring God into it, but God, that's, that's God. He created it. In this case, it was a he. Uh, and he created it. And so he's a pretty good expert on this subject. So 
That's one thing I, I, I'm concerned with and I would like you to respond to, even though you said you think you dis disagree. The other thing um, that was important is the evolution of this legislation. Uh, it, it, as the city attorney brought up and I questioned her on this, this is all about the, the speeding of the plow was related to housing. And as Supervisor Peskin pointed out, uh, you know, when we started on this, this was not about housing. This was conveniently added by, this was conveniently added politically for really good reason, and that is to accelerate housing. But this has nothing to do with housing. That's just kind of fold, has been folded into the, the process. And, uh, y you know, we go back to that wonderful world, that wonderful word of precedent. And have, have we not mixed? What, what bugs me here is I, I think we, we, we got mixed up this, legis this legislation got mixed up in priorities and that the, the, it was originally created. I'm, I'm using the creator's words. He was here. The creator was here. We don't often get the creator here. The creator testified that this is why we created it and then, and then said, well, you know, but it's evolved since then because of, uh, of, of other issues related to housing. So, and therefore the precedents have, he doesn't want the precedent set, even though counsel for the permit holder said, well, the, you know, we've been speeding, we've been doing 35 in the 25 zone, so we might as well continue doing it. The precedent has been set. Um, so, what, you know, what, first of all, what about that claim? You erred. That means the permit, the, the, the planning department erred. Um, if indeed the person who created the legislation said you, uh, that you're, you and your counterpart, uh, you were on both, the, per the planning department erred. So please, would you comment on, on that? And then I want you to really, t again, talk about where is the precedent? Is the precedent that you've, that planning has approved a bunch of signs improperly and therefore it is a precedent? Or can we stop impro improper precedent by getting back to the spirit of what the original intent of the legislation was? Please comment on those two items. Thank you. Tina Tan for the Planning Department. Yes, I was here and I heard him mention that the department erred, but it did not hear the reason behind why we erred. Because he didn't go along with... He didn't yeah. specify, well, the code says this, and you did something else. I knew we let him out of school too early, so he couldn't be here still. But go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. <clears throat> so I, I'm still not clear, and, and I'm guessing you're not clear either. That's why you're asking me. Yep. Um, but I'm not seeing the, um, the evidence behind his statement that we aired. I'm simply going with what we have in the code and what the language specified in the 2018 amendment. I, I agree, I did hear him say it was an add-on. I, I don't know, I wasn't personally involved with working on this legislation. I can't say for, for a fact that 
that was the case. But I agree with Ms. Um, Deputy City Attorney Jenna Hubert in saying, yes, this is all for the sake of trying to streamline important projects, housing, and now we have also important projects like downtown rec recovery, and to help alleviate the workload of staff to make it where there isn't excessive or redundant processes and providing written determination sometimes or subjecting someone to go to the HPC when it's not required would be contrary to that legislation, just from the basis what I, what I understand, uh, but the, what, that's what the legislation is for. Uh, Commissioner Trezvina. Thank, thank you, President Swig. I'll, I'll ask a question that I think we've gone around it a lot, but I'll ask it again just for the record. Your staff did analyze this sign request based on the Secretary of Interior's standards, correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay. So irrespective of whether you, whether you or the department disagrees with Super President Peskin, if we sent this back to the department, can you envision what you would do differently? What would what would be the what would we get out of sending it back? I'm I'm I'm, I'm trying to get a sense as to mm -hmm. what that would look like. Thank you so for that question. Uh, I I would probably ask you to give us more direction and clarity as to what are what are you asking us to do with this sort of return back to take another look and provide a written determination perhaps. Okay. I would need more direction from you. So that was that, that would be a difference. Yeah. We we could we could send it back and say we need a written report on the evaluation, et cetera. And as we talk about precedent, that might set a precedent that every other sign application would require a written evaluation of the standards on a, on a historic building. I believe so. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Um, to to pivot off of uh, Commissioner Trezvina's question, um, even if we do not have a finding and were to perhaps continue this, would the department be able to provide uh, written determination uh, that it has already conducted with respect to the existing MSP? Yes, we could certainly do that. I'm more than happy to do that. Okay. And then uh, uh, from President Swig's questions, he asked the project sponsor about you know other circumstances where uh, signage program for historic resource has been approved um, administratively since 2018. Other examples, uh, you know, as close to like for like as as there is, do you have any of those, you know, handy to tell us now? Or if not, at such point as which we ever deal with this again, might you have those? Thank you. I don't have those examples off the top of my head. I don't work in that in that sort of team or area of, of, of work. Um, I don't maybe know your maybe your expert who's still Perhaps. on the phone yep. has examples, please. That's okay. Hi there. Um, yeah, I can speak just to a few that I've worked on. Um, I will say master sign programs aren't extremely common. It's a lot more common for us to get one-off sign permits, but I've worked on um, administratively um, sign programs for 120 Stockton Street, which is an Article 11 property. 
114 Powell Street, um, 300 Grant Avenue. Those are all Article 11 properties. I don't think I've ever worked on another Article 10 um, master design program. Um, but as I said, they're they're not super common within the department. It's usually larger larger buildings that that seek them out. And and yeah, with respect to individual signs where you may have conducted administrative review, um, any like significant signage uh, there? I mean, maybe not an MSP, but something that was, you know, different and and new, perhaps. Just trying to get an idea of what the department has done under this this program. You mean just by reviewing signage uh, again on a historic the, without- resource? Yes since 2018 when we didn't require the entitlement? Correct. Um, No, I mean, we have uh, internal um, sign guidelines that we use as kind of a basis for a review of signs in Article 10 and 11. Um, So we use that as kind of a guide along with the Secretary of the Interior Standards um, for review of signage. and if there was anything that kind of went beyond what those guidelines discuss, I think we'd talk about it with a larger team and kind of come to a decision about um, the appropriateness of that. But um, I'm not aware of, of anything that Any was really unusual or- A notable example that you know we may have seen as citizens of the city. It's no, okay if you I don't. don't. I'm, yeah. I'm grasping here. I'm, you know, just trying to. So it's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, most of the signage that we review is it. It's it's very it's very similar in kind of overall maximum size, materials, illumination, um, placement. Okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. No more questions. Okay, thank you. Did DBI want to weigh in and rebuttal? Um, Matthew Green, representing DBI. I'll be brief again. I just wanted to address Mr. Osgood's questions and clarify my previous comment. Um, as, as approved, the anchors here are two inches, which, which is what would be installed. My comment was that, in general, for a six-inch wall, you could design it for at least a minimum of one inch embedment or up to four inches embedment. But for this specific project, it'll be, it's designed for two inches and it will be done at two inches. So just to clarify that. Okay, thank you. Commissioners, this matter's submitted, these appeals. Let's, let's start as we traditionally do at the other end and we'll start with Mr. Tosvina, if you don't mind. Uh, th- thank you, President. So I want to thank everybody for their very thoughtful presentations here in the room and on the on on the phone through Zoom, particularly uh, particularly the plant planning staff. Uh, I could see kids in the background. It's a late night for everybody. Uh, I also want to thank our, our our city attorney. I I do believe this this does raise a lot of questions, but the questions I have um, I don't think they need to be visited upon this particular application. Uh, we've heard that the, the planning department has has done a historical review. True, there's no written declaration of or written de- written determination. That may be something we we may we may want to ask for. 
We've heard from, we've heard about the 2018 legislation. While we heard from the author or the, or the creator, um, as, as I read it, it talks, it goes back to Mayor Lee's executive directive on improving, improving, um, uh, improving the timing on, 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 on uh, process improvement and measures to allocate staff and resources to meet the housing goals. And, and then there's a follow-up, follow there's a general finding from the Board of Supervisors about streamlining the processes for the purpose of getting housing, a planning department and the city resources focused on affordable housing. So I do see that, I do see the connection between uh, how the planning department has, has implemented this going back to the legislation itself. But we also have not just a creator, but there's, there's one name on the legislation, and that is the city attorney's office. The city attorney approves as to form. The city attorney can tell us what it means. I think there's a very substantial and important question as to whether President Peskin's view is what the, is, is what the uh, supervisors did or whether the city attorney's current view is what, is, is what, the, is what the legislation does. Uh, and I do think it's very relevant to have the testimony the, uh, both back in 2018 as well as now as to what they intended to do. Maybe what they intended to do isn't what they did, but at least we need to know that. So I would say for, for, for two reasons. One is uh, to get a better sense from, this, from the city attorney's office as to what this legislation requires the planning department to do. And then second is whether there, are, whether there can be a more uh, a, 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 a enhancement of the record as to what the as to what the historical implications are, um, as to as to the proposed change, uh, for those reasons, I would ask that we continue this. Um, I'm actually going to concur with Commissioner Trasvenia, but for different reasons, um, and that is, uh, I didn't actually do any review of. Article 11 of the Planning Code because it was not brought up in the briefing, uh, nor was it uh, brought up until rebuttal by both uh, the permit holder and the uh, planning department. However, uh, my very cursory recent reading in the last few minutes of Article 11 shows that this it should apply to this property as well. Uh, and. Article 11 has much more stringent standards than the ones we've been talking about here today. Um, and it applies to, the title of Article 11 is Preservation of Buildings and Districts of Architectural, Historical, and Aesthetic Importance in the C3 Districts, which we heard from planning is the case here today. Um, and Section 1111.6 of the Planning Code is much more stringent than 10, 6.6, which we've just been discussing all evening, uh, and uh, contains a significant additional content um, that I think merits discussion and research and um, and, and and further discussion by this body. Um, and for that reason, I, I will definitely support a motion to continue. I also think it's important to have all five members of this body here uh, to vote on this matter because uh, as President Peskin, as President Swig have said, uh, and uh, the permit holder as well, this is potentially precedent setting and I, I agree with that, with that assessment as well. 
um, that it's precedent setting regardless of which side we come out on in this matter. Um, and I do think we should have, um, frankly, full briefing on this, uh, on the section Article 11 issues too, which, uh, I, you know, I, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but the permit holders brief did not address at all. Um, so uh, that being said, I, you know, I was ready to, <laughs> I, and, and I know I didn't have the votes for it tonight, I was ready to grant this appeal in full tonight um, based on the fact that the planning department didn't have any written record of its decision-making process. That alone, I think, was a, enough reason to, uh, to overturn all four of these permits uh, without delving into the merits of the historical uh, significance or the... Uh, potential clashes with the, uh, with the historical preservation guidelines. Um, I also want to kind of give a shout out to all of the people who submitted public comment. Uh, it really does impact our thinking and our view on these issues. And uh, I asked the city attorney prior to this meeting whether I had to disclose this. The answer was no, and I'm gonna do it anyway. Um, but uh, the two gentlemen that the appellant showed in the video, uh, Professor Gray Bracken and Professor Dick Walker um, of the Berkeley Geography Department introduced me to this building in 2009 in an urban field study course. I'm a proud Berkeley Geography Department graduate. We spent three hours in that building and this building is special. Um, there is no doubt in my mind that this building among many, many, many other historic, beautiful, significant, buildings in San Francisco is special in so many different ways. Um, and we're not discussing, we haven't discussed the interior because that's not at issue tonight. Um, but the need to preserve this building is a very real issue um, that I think warrants consideration and even past consideration, the um, potential, whatever actions this body can take to change policy and change the way things are done um, in, in city government uh, to the extent that we have the ability to do so. Uh, that being said, uh, with this, my discovery of all of the Article 11 uh, code requirements, I certainly support a continuance tonight to a future meeting uh, where all five members of the body are present and where we've had uh, the chance to review all of the applicable laws. Thank you. Commissioner Epler. Thank you. Um, I certainly support the uh, idea of continuing. Uh, for me, um, without getting too deep, because we'll have another chance to talk about this, it seems, at this point in time, um, you know, if, if I take the law as it is written and presented in front of me and take it to mean what those words say, then it's true we have two components here. Is this a sign issue? Yes. Does it meet 10.6.6? And I think the answer is probably yes because I trust the people that have worked on this, but we are accustomed to having a written record by which to make that determination. And I think that particularly when it's something that excludes the public from a process, and particularly when it's something that is a recent change that has excluded the public from a process to which they were currently included, at least having the concrete record by which that we can make our informed decision um, at least makes our process more valuable and lends more credence to our process. And so with just that part said, I would support a continuance. 
Okay. Uh, just a couple comments before somebody makes motion, probably uh, Commissioner Trisvenia. Um I'm deeply bothered by the short-sightedness of the planning department. Really bothered. Because we're in a housing emergency. But the post office building is a historical landmark that was made a historical landmark for a purpose in 1980 forever. There was no housing emergency, or maybe there was, it just wasn't recognized in 1980. But now we're letting a short, hopefully, God help us, that, that this housing emergency will be solved. But let's not mix stuff in that wasn't meant to be mixed in in the first place. This was an add-on. This was an add-on. And with all due respect to the city attorney, President Peskin said it was an add-on. Did he say it was a bad add-on? No, he said it was an add-on. And it's a, a righteous add-on for the purpose of housing. But why should it affect something which was landmarked in 1980 in perpetuity forever? That would mean landmark, that would mean forever, that means housing emergency or no housing emergency. And we're starting to be very convenient, planning department, about mixing, I think, what is a temporary situation with something that had permanence. And I think it's a really, it goes back to that word precedent. You know, I, I, I really have to apologize to uh, the Hudson Pacific folks. I, we're probably your worst nightmare. My family's been in the commercial real estate business since 1945 in San Francisco. Okay, and, and we own a lot of commercial real estate. Yes, we are suffering the same way that you are in this current environment with things that are happening. So I, I feel your pain. I really do feel your pain. It has nothing to do with you. You're great, you know? I, you have great reputation. You're doing everything right. The problem is, is you're just kind of stuck in the middle of something that is, is you know, one person feels one thing, one fe person feels the other. I was born and raised in San Francisco. So I, I kind of take it real personally. So when something that was created as a, as a landmark, if, if suddenly somebody decides, well, we're in a housing uh, emergency, and um, because of that, we can do signage on the Golden Gate Bridge that you know, says, come to Joe's Bar. Are you kidding me? You know, and, th and this is the precedent setting that I'm talking about. I'm really sorry that I'm, I'm, I'm actually one of you. I am in the commercial real estate business, but I'm desperately in love with San Francisco and want to and want to protect the core values of the city, the core landmarks in the city from getting compromised in a short term situation. Legislation was one way. There was a, an, an add on for very good reason. Housing. Again, we'll solve this. We'll get through this. But hopefully we'll get through this, and maybe in 2030, this, this housing thing will be gone. But we still got this, this your building, which is a post office building, which is a permanent landmark. This is the conflict that I have to, th this is why I, I'm feeling the way I, I do, which is in line with, uh, I think, my fellow commissioners. So I agree with continuance, and I really think the written documentation of the findings of the from the planning department are important for us to see 
just like we see plans on a building and we approve the plans on the building for when we're hearing about other permits, we need the documentation from planning. And I would ask planning to very much separate their view between what is the short term, that is right now the housing emergency, and this other thing which is a, a permanence, a completely different chapter on a, in a completely different book. That's m my point of view. And once again, I apologize, Hudson Pacific, you're like San Francisco's worst, you're, you're suffering from San Francisco's worst nightmare. We can't seem to get out of our way sometimes uh, with, you know, over politicizing or over-regulating, but this is, you know, it's, it's all because of people like me who just happen to love my city and want to maintain the, the core values of it and make sure that we're consistent and that one deviation in a short-term situation doesn't become the precedent, you know, just like in front of my house. They all go 35 to 45 miles an hour, and it really is a 25-mile-an-hour zone, and I wish the cops would get out there again like they did for the first 20 years that I lived there. And, and slow down the traffic so it's safe and it complies with the law. That's all we ask. So uh, I think continuance for all the reasons that we've talked about is a really good idea. And, uh, but uh, Commissioner Trezinho, can you get some specificity with regard to what you want back and then make sure that our fellow commissioners are allowed to chip into what specifically you want to hear back so we can get this back on track? I, I would be happy to attempt to do so. And Thank you. I'm, knowing that I would need the votes of my colleagues to make this happen, I definitely want to welcome all of their suggestions and additions, uh, given the lateness of the hour and that we are, looks like we are in a consensus to continue this, I will not respond to some of some of the statements except to say that I it doesn't seem to me this is planning's doing as I read Mayor Lee's executive directive the legislation from the board they make it pretty clear they don't like all this money being spent on on paper on mailing on newspaper advertising they want something streamlined for the betterment of San Francisco which means housing and I candidly I don't think the signs that are at issue here are going to hurt San Francisco's values or hurt uh, or hurt how we feel. Lack of housing may may hurt San Francisco's values, but I don't think these signs are, are going to be. But uh, in, in the spirit of moving forward tonight and giving some clarity to the city attorney and to the planning department and to the and to the parties and everyone who's who is still listening to us tonight, I would um, move to continue this uh, item to uh, July 26th or? We are too busy. September uh, 6th is our first available date where we're gonna have uh, all commissioners in a light schedule. Okay, then, then September. Unfortunately, we have to move it there. I'm very sorry to the Hudson Pacific folks. Then, then to September the 6th for the purpose of receiving a report from the planning department on uh, the determination of uh, the impact, well, the determinations that it has already made on this permit application and any other relevant resource uh, considerations that may come up with a decision by us. 
and as for this and and also a report from the city attorney on the on the consistency of the planning department's view of the 2018 legislation with your own with the city attorney's view does that encapsulate it um, ask Commissioner Lemberg ask Commissioner Epler um, I, I I definitely would want to add to that uh, that we specifically make uh, get a legal opinion from the city attorney and a, a planning department uh, opinion as well on the applicability and conformity with the uh, with article 11 of the planning code I think that's of utmost importance because it's something we didn't talk about at all tonight um, and I, I definitely think that's important there was something else I wanted to say but it's now now the motion's been made so um. anything else that you want uh, to folks to bring back to us I have I have nothing else to add the this is something I wrote down and didn't say, um, but I, I do think it's relevant here that the real question before us with this appeal, I, I, I was fully prepared to demonize the property owners here uh, because they were doing a bad job, and that's not what happened. Uh, you guys actually did a really good job uh, and presented yourselves well and, and professionally and all of that, and I kudos to you for that. The real question here to me is not that, but really whether whether the planning department should have requirements to show its work, to show documentation um, on thing on that support a mandatory finding that is required to exempt projects from uh, from. Historic Preservation Commission review um, and obviously my proposal is that that should be but I you know I, I think that's really the the essence of this appeal and and of the precedent that this appeal potentially sets um, and because of that I, I support Commissioner Trasvina's um, ask that uh, in this case, the planning department does show its work because of the extreme importance of this particular property. Um, that's, I, I think that's in line with what you said, but uh, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. Your mic's off. Uh, your, your last request is beyond what I requested. Uh, but what's important is that the deputy city attorney understands what it is we're asking her for. What I was originally asking for was uh, an assessment as to whether the planning commission process used, planning department's process used on this permit complied with the 2018 law and any other pertinent laws. Your request is whether the written findings, et cetera, should be read into the 2018 law, not whether it does or not, or whether whether it currently is or not. So we can ask for both, but I just want to make clear that 
I love them. What I want to know is compliance, and you want to know what may be best practices. And we're making a decision on the permits, not on the processes. Of course. Um, and yet, for me, the, uh, making a decision on the actual permits themselves is somewhat dependent on seeing that information from the planning department. So. True, but we can't dictate what their processes are. You might think they're invalid, and then you could go ahead and grant the appeals, but I don't think we can direct them. Well, I, I, think, I, I, I think part of uh, one of the discussions tonight um, is whether the planning department erred, right? And the planning department erring would be the would be the what we could uphold the appeal and and honor the appeal because the planning department erred. Now, when we get further feedback and information from the planning department, as is being requested by Commissioner Trisvenia, and I think furthermore is being requested. From uh, uh, from Commissioner Lemberg, uh, then that supports an argument that the planning department may not have aired, and therefore that doesn't become something for discussion. So I think uh, it's it's not about processes; it's about information that supports a standard that the planning department did not err and acted appropriately in making its finding. So that's kind of where I land on the subject of this discussion. Yeah, I, I, I just wanted to clarify, I, I'm not opposed to Commissioner Lemberg's request. They, they make a very good point. That point will help us perhaps decide that the Planning Commission had a legally available alternative way of doing this but unless we know what that is, we're not going to be able to make that determination. All about information. No. I'd like to point out something that's very important and really is the, the backbone of my, my own personal paranoia. I know you find it hard from your experience here, and I'm being very sarcastic at this point, that, uh, that you know, there are bad actors that appear in front of us, and there are bad actors that... Uh, that participate in development activities not only in San Francisco and in other places. And I know that Hudson Pacific is not a bad actor. But let's say that they were a bad actor and they also had a building called the Ferry Building, which is of a cherished, at a cherished level in this, uh, in this city. And we have to be very careful and, and it could be anything right, if they own Coit Tower or if somebody owned Coit Tower, that if, that if we're not very rigid on this, that they say, well, we got away with this over here, we can get away, and this has nothing to do with you guys who are the permit holder, I promise you, but I have to, you know, believe it or not, there are some bad actors out there, and we have to protect the city against potential bad actors, one of them not being yourselves. Uh, and so what we do here is really set the precedent for making sure that the planning department is doing the right thing, going through the right procedures, coming up with a, a, a balanced report in support of their act, and, uh, and that really pre prevents somebody from 
uh, taking advantage of maybe a misdirection and doing it on even another building. So that's just my own super paranoia about protecting the city. I'm reminded of the city of Chicago's mistake in allowing the gigantic letters saying Trump Tower to be uh, <laughs> put on a building that everyone on the river can see. And they regretted it, but it was too late to do anything. I, I yeah. would, if I could, ask uh, the deputy city attorney whether the collective request is understandable and acceptable to her or, or and or can it be improved? Um, so let me make, make one suggestion, which is that given that we have a long period of time, what would be helpful to me is to have the parties submit their briefs in advance and then have this board and myself have the opportunity to review those so that the parties, uh, the planning department is an expert on Article 11, I'm sure council is as well. If they could address that question first in particular, that would be, I think, beneficial for everyone. Um, as I understand it, the question is the applicability and conformity of planning code Article 11. Um, that is one I think I would really benefit from the positions of um, the parties who deal with this day in and day out on um, to see what, what their analysis is. Um, and then with respect to the legislation, I, I understand that the request for the opinion is on the consistency of the planning department's view of the 2018 legislation with, with sort of my own, whether what is happening is consistent with the city attorney's view of what this legislation requires. There was one more piece, I think, from Commissioner Lenberg that I'm actually not 100% clear on, and, and was it whether written findings could be required? Whether this body could uh, issue, could require written findings for this specifically, particularly historically significant building okay. um, as part of the conditions uh, for this continuance. Okay. Okay. Um, so uh, we have a, a motion for a continuance. Uh, you have a laundry list of things that we would like to see uh, testimony address during that continuance, at, at the time of that continuance. And we also have a suggestion from the city attorney that we might ask for uh, documentation uh, a little bit f uh, more advanced than we would normally receive it. So how can we okay, well, get first all that done? Why don't we ask the parties if they're available on September 6th? Mr. Osgood is available. Okay, thank you. And then for clarity, the deputy city attorney was requesting briefs from all of the parties on these questions. Um, I, I, I mean, I'm not sure Mr. Osgood could weigh in, but he no, should have I, an opportunity if the I, other two. I, Ahead, I would posit that if Mr. Osgood wanted to, that hiring an attorney might be very helpful uh, in that, uh, because I do think it would help be helpful to have both sides. And also, I might even add a request for a brief from planning as well um, in, in the same vein. Right, but we are up under a time frame for him to go out and hire an attorney, find one, get briefed. I mean, it's pushing it out longer. Not a condition, just a suggestion. Okay. So when would you want the briefs by? 
So the, the idea is to get well, the briefs from the parties, and then um, the deputy city, the the deputy city attorney. It was her idea. So, uh, Jen, uh, mm -hmm. when would you find it appropriate, based on your own uh, direction, uh, to have briefs submitted in advance of the September sixth hearing? I'm I'm looking at my calendar, and I you know it. it I I think just. So it would normally be the Thursday before, prior to the hearing. Prior but you're to saying the you hearing. want to review their briefs prior to you issuing your exactly. Okay. I just think that would be helpful. Um, so if we did it, so we're looking at September sixth. If we had briefs two weeks earlier, it would be August seventeenth. Then they okay. So that would give you two weeks to review? Yeah, okay. and the board as well, so that if they have further questions. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think the board re yes. would review the briefs and your exactly. memo the, the Friday before the hearing. They wouldn't be reviewing it, you know, two weeks. So right. would that be okay with you, Ms. Sullivan, to have, and let's talk about how long you want the brief. Are there any page limits? Six pages, I, I, we want a whole new 12-page brief. So if I understand it correctly, because uh, I think this is, um, there are a lot of requests that have been made and some are for the department and city attorney and now some from us. Uh, I would posit that a lot of these are for the city and not necessarily us. However, we are prepared <clears throat> to assist in any way in terms of pulling transcripts and doing whatever we can do to help the record. I think you're saying that you need briefs on the 17th, so that would you would have some sort of written determination by the 31st, which is the week before the hearing? Is that what you're asking for? I'm asking for briefs at some point sooner than the Thursday before the hearing. Yes. So I'm, I'm open to <laughs> discussing what is reasonable for the 17th the, or the, the 24th. I mean, just, you know, a month, five weeks, six weeks would be great. Yeah, if it, how time flies. I, I understand. I have been there yeah. many times. Um, so if the 24th is that would be great is better. Yeah. Okay. And so um, we're asking I, I, in the in the interest of Mr. Osgood, I see no reason unless he wants to to uh, I think having the briefs at the time that they are uh, made public is the important time. So he has a chance to be prepared to uh, right, they they will copy him on their Yeah, and and uh, to make him, I mean, everything we brought up today, uh, tonight is uh, about did the planning department err or not, okay? I don't have an opinion necessarily one way or other. I'm going to go in, you know, flat-footed on that. Um, my promise, Tina, uh, whether this ses sets a precedent or not, I think is uh, some commentary needs to come from the city attorney and from the planning department. The issues related to um, article, is it article 11? Article 11 and article 10, uh, that, is, that is something that the, the permit holder's attorney can opine on. I'm sure she'll have an opinion on that and uh, planning should have a conversation on that and uh, and the city attorney obviously will have some advisory on on that, and and the issue of 
providing written findings that support the direction of the planning department and what they came in with tonight is a simple request. Put it in writing, you know? Just put it in writing. I think that's what you're asking for, correct? And that is a responsibility of the planning department. So I think we just, unless anybody has any other thoughts on who should write up what, I think I just captured it, or did I, did well, I, I fail I, to? I, I have two thoughts. One is, on the last point, I also want to know the resource implications from the planning department yeah. as to whether, wh whether we would require this as a precedent. And second is that um, I, I'm, I'm uncomfortable advising Mr. Osgood that he needs an attorney. But what, but what I do think is that he should, he, anything we're asking um, the permit holder, Mr. Osgood should feel, be, be welcome to chime in, provide anything as well, any, 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 uh, any written submission he would like on, on whatever the date that we've selected. In, including from the historic preservation angle, that's not a legal angle necessarily as well, because that's, I think, who he represents a lot of, but. Well, he's free, to, he's free to get other organizations or people who are similarly of his mind to write things for him or submit. Uh, with regard to the length of the brief, um, I don't think we should put a limit on it, um, Julie, um, because uh, as, uh, we, we want direct answers. We don't want new topics. We want direct answers to specific questions. Well, I think we should put a limit because we could oh. get a 200-page brief. Okay. Then, so then, I think then, we should st stay with 12 at, at least. As, as, as always, at mo I, at most, I, will, I, mean. I will follow your advice and ask the, 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 my okay. fellow commissioners to follow your advice. And can I just clarify what we're asking them to do? Because I know that the city attorney wants to have a briefing on the applicability and conformity with Article 11 of the Planning Code and uh, whether the process used by the planning department complies with the 2018 law. And additionally, we want a report from the planning department on the determination it made on the permit applications and uh, any other relevant resource considerations they used in making the decision to approve the permit. So do you want all that material on the 24th? That should all be part of the briefs? Okay, and then you'll have two weeks, then you can issue your opinions, and then that could just be all part of the record. Okay, and what is, and so this is a motion from Commissioner Trisvina? Yes. Okay, and what is the basis of this motion? That it's 9.30? The need, the, need, the need for this commission to have further information to make an appropriate decision, a, a good decision. That's Yes, fine. yes. Okay. So, That's about it. And we're going to have a 12-page limit, unlimited exhibits, and that would be due 4.30 p.m. by August 24th, and all parties copied. So on that motion, Commissioner Lemberg? Aye. And for the record, continue to August 24th. Uh, Commissioner Epler? Aye. President Swig? Aye. Okay, so I'm sorry, it's continued to September 6th. The briefs are due August 24th. My apologies. So... Um, that motion carries four to zero, and we will make sure Vice President Lopez is up to speed. Thank you. That concludes the hearing. Thank you.
SFGOAT TV.